Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Recording live in studio, here's Nick and Matt. Every time that, that intro gets me when Nick's not here, because it's not, it's not Nick and Matt. Tonight, it's Evan and Matt and Ben, and we're going to introduce in just a minute Simon and his dad. Really excited about that. Evan, how's it going? Nick is on the road, traveling yet again, coming out of Belton. How's it going, Evan? It is going good. How are you guys doing? Good. Ben, how are you doing over there? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me <laughs> your, on the show. Your camera and green screen are all messed up. Beautiful. Um, so I said Nick's not here. The Open at Belton, I always mess that tournament name up. The Open at Belton just completed. This is Monday, the time of recording, and there was some pretty cool stuff that happened. We're going to talk about Silver Series in general. I don't want to overplay Silver Series, but we're going to talk about what they should receive for Spotlight in, in our opinions, right? And uh, We'll just say it. Chris Dickerson took it down. So did Katrina Allen. But there's storylines outside of that that we'll break down. Stat Mando. Evan here is going to you know it. He's going to bring it for us. We'll play Stat or Fiction. And I, did, what did you learn from last week? I'm going to keep it simple this week. Uh, a kind, a kind, a smart man once said, uh, "Kiss, keep it simple, stupid." Uh, so <laughs> Who's the stupid one? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's Dwight Troop, by the way. So yeah, uh, <laughs> perfect. Right. We should watch, definitely should watch The Office before these recordings. That'd be much better. Yes. All right. Well, without further ado, Ben, let's go ahead and pull up uh, Simon and Mr. Dave Lazat in studio. How's it going, guys, over there? You got the microphone. Simon just holds up a mini for no reason. How's it going, Dave? Oh, fantastic. I'm so honored and grateful to be here. Thanks. So, I mean, you're sitting next to your son. You just traveled from where? Like, not, not Shrewsbury, Massachusetts. We know that's where Simon's from. Where did you travel from to get to the U.S.? Uh, we traveled from Bremen, Germany on uh, Friday and got here Friday evening. Okay. Simon picked us up at the airport, which was nice. And, you know, we've been here for two, three days now. What, what's it like getting picked up by a superstar disc golfer at the airport? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's actually a, um, a, a, a very interesting, um, a mu much more interesting uh, a question than you would think it would be, because on the one side, hey, it's my son, right? you know, and it's like, come on. But on the other side, I do realize and know that he has made a, um, a big imprint on, on the sport and is uh, very uh, recognizable and everything, so... There's a tinge of that as well, and um, it's it's cool, but it's also just Simon, you know. <laughs> that's 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 you know. I think I can imagine if it was my like I have four boys, yeah. Um, but it had to be asked because it's pretty. Oh, certainly, you know, because in in the world that I am most in 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 the world of disc golf, which with which I relate to the most, um, he's famous now, so um. You know, my son or not my son, he's still a, a, a famous personality in the sport that I follow the most and have been playing for ages and ages. So it's uh, there's still a, there's still a little bit of I don't know I don't know if it's nervousness, not really, but it's cool. It's cool for sure. I'm very proud of uh, how far he's gotten here. Simon, your dad says you're famous. Is he accurate? In the disc golf world, <laughs> I think. At this point, it qualifies as being famous. I mean, 
we both played Maple Hill on a beautiful Sunday yesterday, and pretty much every single person that is out at Maple Hill will say hi to me, which is awesome. And I'm a disc, I'm a celebrity on a disc golf course, which is maybe the best celebrity you can be because anywhere else in normal life I can go. And the times I get recognized in public, sometimes it happens at the airport and randomly at the grocery shopping or wherever it could be. Um, it's really cool because it happens so rarely that it's really cool. Um, but I, one of my biggest fears is always uh, being too famous. And what those celebrities have to live through is probably miserable because not going in public sounds like it's a terrible life. Um, but we're not even close to there, so it's awesome. <laughs> would you say, Dave, that you would have echoed similar sentiments to what he's saying, or did he develop this on his own, the idea of not wanting to be too famous? Is that something you would echo yourself like, yeah. in life? Yeah, I think so. I think it's um, oh, what a hassle it would be, you know? What a hassle it would be to be recognized everywhere. Um, so um, oh, it's really nice. I think, yes. Echo. I, I'm I'm just trying to peel a little bit here to see like where does Simon get the way he is? Like we know him, Simon Lazat. Yeah. Um he's now local to us here in Massachusetts, and so we feel like we get to know him more. But now that his dad's here, Simon, your dad's here, we're gonna ask the question. So let's just start with an easy one. What's it like seeing Simon, his fiance Natalia, and the new grandson, Emmett, living in their own house? Did you ever think this day would arrive? Uh, no, it's actually, to be honest, it's really mind-boggling um, um, just to see the uh, the amount of uh, solidity, I guess you could call it, in his life. You know, a nice car, house, wife, although not married yet, but technically, yes. Um, child now, really nice house, and... Um, Pool table in the living room, dude. Pool table in the living room. That just, that, that about trumps everything. Um, I grew up also playing a lot of pool and everything. We've played a lot of pool together. And um, at first, the idea of, yeah, we're looking for a house that fits a pool table, I thought it was a little bit, yeah. Okay, well, we'll see what Natalia has to say about that. But she was all for it as well, and then he did it, and... and um, yeah, he has a house with a pool table in it, so <laughs> I don't know. That sort of stands out a little bit, you know? So, uh, yeah, I'm very proud of how much um, solidness and, and, and uh, I can't come up with the right word now because I've got German words uh, scrambling around. Say, in my say the German words. I can't think of it either because it's <laughs> mixed in with the French and English words that I'm trying to come up with that I have neither of. So You, you know three just, languages fluently? More or less, okay. yeah. I I, I was I was uh, brought up French and English, mostly English. But I we had to learn French because we were in a French village. So I knew French, and when I moved over to Germany, I've been there for thirty years now. So I know German, of course, as well. So three languages. Okay. Yeah. Um. Besides pool, yes, and disc golf. Is there any other shared interest that you have that Simon and you would share interest? Saying, yeah, we're we're similar in that way. Um, yeah, a little bit, um, music, although me, not so much anymore. Guitar playing. I used to play a lot more and we, we shared that for a while, a little bit and, uh, PlayStation golf. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a joke. It's like, it's real. It's real. Oh, PlayStation awesome. golf since 
2003 when the first game oh, actually wow. the first game came out in 2001 or something this tiger woods uh ea sports from mm. uh, and we've been playing that since ever so wow yeah all right yeah, that was a cool little that was a cool little insight there yeah uh let's go back in time a little bit if you're ready for that and, and simon do you agree is or let me let you answer that is there anything that you share that he missed music cool Disc and golf. That's all the things I do. I don't do more <laughs> things than those darts. Things. Darts. Well, yeah, but he's he, he was never into darts. It's okay. something I picked up with my cousins later on. Do you change diapers now, Simon? Oh yeah, I love changing diapers, <laughs> and just seeing the mess and being like, yeah, he's healthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Dad, you must be so proud over there. I certainly am. All right, let's go back in time a little bit. Um. At what point back when you introduced, so you, oh, tell me that story. You introduced Simon to disc golf, or did he find it from somebody else, number one? And number two, did the thought ever enter your mind that he might be able to make a living off of disc golf one day after you saw what Simon was capable of? Um, I don't, I can't really uh, point out, come up with a point in time where I introduced him to it. Okay. Um, I was introduced to the sport in somewhere in the 80s, early 80s, with my brother in Vancouver. We had a course out there. And um, so I've just been always playing uh, Frisbee my entire life. And uh, I was introduced uh, to disc golf more intensely with my brother in, in Vancouver. And so I've just been playing it all the time. And we always had Frisbees around and would be playing in the backyard. So... It was never really a point of introduction, and um, of the three kids uh, that 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 I have, um, three boys, um, Simon was the most keen to come out and just play with us, and um, eventually it was. I don't know if I really came up with the thought that oh boy, he's going to make a living with it, just because that was. Not at all a possibility in uh, in Germany, like at all. Um, you know, you enter tournaments for twenty or thirty dollars, and if you win, you get seventy five bucks, like at the most, if it's a big payout. And um, but certainly by the time he was eleven or twelve, where he'd been playing several years with us, just the boys around town and stuff, playing on ching baskets and stuff like that. Uh, um it became evident pretty quickly that oh boy he's going to be good like he's going to be really good uh within a very short time he was out playing all of us and also most of the players on the um german tour most of the men as well he spent some time in the juniors division and was basically winning most of that and then he switched to the open division when he was 15 um, played against the men and started whipping their butts pretty quickly. Does it feel you're you're watching Gannon Burr if you're watching the the pro tour scene? At all? I, I have seen similar Burr. similar vibes vibes and like sixteen year old on the pro tour. Similar vibes. Which way do you mean that? Like like Simon, is there any comparability there to you said fifteen years old entering pro open and beating yeah. beating older men? No. No. Okay. No. <laughs> it's it's, it's impossible to compare 
2004, 2005 disc golf in Germany to the Pro Tour <laughs> in 2022. It's just so different worlds. And uh, yeah, you can't really put us in the same category there. But okay. what, Gannon, what Gannon is doing right now is obviously next level stuff. Yeah, good for him. Um, so yeah, it was before the time of disc golf. I mean, realistically, you go back four years. And it was before the time of disc golf being a real living option. So, I mean, I know when I asked that question, it wasn't going to be. But I was just curious. Have you ever had that moment where you're like, man, he's really good. If disc golf turns into something, he can do it. Is, did you ever have that thought? Um, absolutely. And the, the, the one I can remember the most is when Simon uh, went up to Finland. For what was that? The European Championships 2010? was it and the top players were ken climo avery uh, jenkins david felberg and a couple of the uh european players marcus Karlström, i believe might have been there and um simon after one or two rounds i was still living at i was still at home and simon went up there with a friend who who took him along and um after two rounds, Simon's like in second or third place or fourth place or something. And uh, they all phoned me up and said, hey, Dave, you got to get up here. So I got on the plane, went up there and was able to watch the last round. Um, mind blowing. And, and also we were walking around town with with uh, Feldberg and Climo and everything. And they were saying lots of things and being very much in awe of Simon and going, oh, look how far you're throwing a mid-range disc. That's nuts. <laughs> And um, so, yeah, at that point, I was thinking, yeah, if, if, you know, if Simon can make it over to the States, then uh, there's potential for uh, good things to happen. Yeah. So we were always, uh, I personally was always totally behind his um, need to go out and play. And we took him out of school a lot and had to write a lot of letters to the schools to say, oh, yeah, he's going to miss Friday and he's going to miss Monday. And and we got a couple of letters also from the school going, oh, you can't take him out so much. And I was like, yes, we can. <laughs> so And we did. And um, I've always wanted to uh, get a collection of things that Simon has accumula accumulated over the last five, six years and go to the school and go, see, see, <laughs> it happened. So, yeah, yeah, that's kind of cool. That is excellent. Um, Simon, when was the last time your dad beat you in disc golf? <laughs> <laughs> How yesterday far? really no okay no. <laughs> um do you let him win wow. ever or are you just like competitive or you're not competitive you just have fun like I, I don't remember last time we played a competitive round in the same tournament or if it was maybe probably would have been like a local league on our home, home course mm. and you probably definitely have never beat me on our home course <laughs> um gosh it must be 2007 <laughs> I would yeah. guess maybe yeah. 2006 or 2007. So uh, like 15, 16 years ago when I was 14. <laughs> also still probably playing in juniors, right? I remember looking back at some of the scores where I came um, maybe even first or second in the master's division. And I compared scores to what Simon had. And he was five or six strokes behind me, but playing in juniors. And I think that was about the last time. And then... Pretty soon afterwards, it was just like, okay. <laughs> but he's really good. He, in like 2005 or something, you won Canadian Masters? Yeah. Or 2006? 
Canadian Masters. He won the Canadian Masters Championship, so that's at least one title you have. Yeah. Yep. Okay, let's do this. Ben, open up the phone lines if you don't mind. Um, and Evan, do you have any? I know you had asked me a few questions about PDGA numbers and all that. Do you have any stats to tell us here, or, or is that something we didn't do? Well, I just looked up real quick. Uh, the last time you guys played a round together, um, not counting same division or anything like that, was 2013. I'm going to butcher this name so bad, but the Wesserufer Park. Okay, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, that was last time, uh, October of 2013. Uh, Simon beat Dave by seven strokes in the second round and six strokes in the first round. I'm about to look up the last time that Dave beat Simon in a round. Uh, PDGA sanction, that is. Okay. Okay. That could be a while ago. I wonder if we can find that. Let me check. Okay. While he looks for that, answer, answer this if you don't mind, Dave. Has Simon always been such a showman on the course? Simon, in many interviews... And even on the course, has made decisions to do the what we'll call the show route, right? The Simon route. Has that always been Simon's way? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I think he also. Um, I don't want to really say he gets that from me, but um, I myself have never been extremely competitive, and I've never really worried or been concerned about the proper way to play the hole or the make sure you get the birdie and do it this way and do it that way. And it's more like, no, do the throw that impresses your group the most, you know, cause that's, cause that's, uh, you know, I think we share the same idea about that, that the, uh, the one really amazingly cool throw in the tournament sometimes over, overdoes for lack of a better word, um, the actual tournament and placements. You know what I mean? Yeah. You sound like Simon. <laughs> so. You just got to find the line, whatever you're doing, that you keep having fun and you keep being interested in what you're doing. And uh, for some people, it is being as good as you can possibly be and finding this like almost this perfect, the perfection, like Paul Macbeth, he wants disc golf played perfectly. That's what he strives, strives for. And for some reason, it never really interested me. I, I mean, I like getting better. I like playing well, of course. But for me, it was, how can I play the most different? Like, that was for me the most fun thing is to see a hole. And like, how can I make this hole the most different to anyone else and play it the most different way? And I see that when I play pool, for example, as well. I mean, I'm a good pool player, but I'm, I would be way better at pool if I would practice to be good at pool. But when I play pool... I look at some shots and I don't think, okay, what's the simplest way I can get to the next ball? I think, what's the coolest, most different way I can set this next shot up? Um, and I think that kind of relates to all a lot of things I do in life. And it's just a personality thing, I guess. And I think it's always been like that for me. Yeah, I, I, I think you're, I, I'm, ad, I admi I'm stuttering. <laughs> I admire you for doing what you like to do and not having pressures of, whatever the sport was there a time where the sport was pressuring you though to not do that i feel like i remember but yeah I, I mean all the time the big move to the u.s in 2014 uh Discmania just started up working here as well and it was huge trying to start up a company in in the huge market the u.s was was pretty scary and i was pretty much before eagle came on board a year later um like the only guy wearing the Discmania shield out on the course and uh, UC, of course, wanted me to 
be the superstar disc golfer. And sometimes I felt like they were trying to squeeze me in this in the super athlete model. And I just could never really identify with that for some reason. I don't know why. It was weird. Hey, that's again, we admire that. We got a phone call coming in, so let's go ahead it's and for you. It's for you. We can hear the ringing. The guests can't, but we have somebody on the line now. Welcome to the Nick and Matt show. You have a question for Simon or Dave? Yes, uh, um, probably just one, but ich verstehe ein bisschen Deutsch. Uh, my wife is from Germany. I don't speak German whatsoever, <laughs> but um, the Seibin Sucha Rufelheim, I was involved with their club for a little bit, and I was just calling pretty much to ask about uh, the future of German disc golf because when I went there, I played a course at the College of Köln, uh, one in Ruselheim, and do you know who Chris Longmire is in Germany? Chris Longmire, no. Oh, I, I thought he was a Ruselheim local, and I know he's also uh, he's an American that lives in Ruselheim with the with the club around there. So I thought you might know him. No, no, I've only met uh, a couple people in Europe. Uh, I went to Amsterdam and played. I played outside in Paris. I was really excited to play with someone. Uh, well, outside of London. I was really excited to play around with someone from London, and the guy ended up being from Birmingham, Georgia. But yeah, I was just asking about the future of uh, uh, German disc golf, and that's all I had. Thanks for your call. Um, <laughs> I'm going to hold back a little bit on that question because I really don't see a huge development apart from the number of players and maybe some courses, but I still don't see a huge development in the um, growth of professional disc golf in uh, Germany. I just don't see it happening. There's a lot more players, um, but, I mean, with professionalism and uh, professional uh, playing comes big payouts and big entry fees and all that kind of stuff, and, and I think Germany's still quite far away from that. Yeah, I'm just going to say I kind of like detached myself from the whole disc golf German scene four, uh, seven, eight years, nine years ago now um, when I first started touring here. Um, so I, I can't really speak to that that much. I've been following, of course, a bit and I talk still to my local friends um, and it hasn't moved much, at least what, when it comes to anything professional. Um, but they're getting a couple courses every year and I know that the sport is getting more and more popular. Germany just has a huge problem with... Um, places to play because it's such a small country with so many people um but yeah one of my goals maybe in the future i really want to team up with the paul Macbeth foundation and maybe put in a new cool course in germany i think that would get some hype going and maybe like five to ten years from now when i maybe slow down on the pro tour but focus on growing the sport in my home country that'd be cool awesome we have another caller lined up welcome to the nick and matt show you have a question Hey guys, uh, Simon, you are my favorite player, so it's an honor to speak to you. And I Thank was wondering, you. what is more important to you? Would you rather be a top 10 golfer or have 200,000 uh, YouTube followers? <laughs> Thanks for the call. Wow, the would you rather questions. <laughs> I, I mean, I have to go with logic here, so I would probably rather be a top 10 golfer because then it would be pretty easy to acquire 200,000 subscribers. But with 200,000 subscribers, still being a top 10 golfer is going to be pretty much impossible, no matter how many subscribers you have. 
So I'm going to go with the top 10. I'm, I'm still striving to be a top 10 uh, disc golfer, which I think I can be, and I will be again pretty soon, hopefully. But man, the field is hard to beat right now. Oh my God, it's crazy out there. Um, and I'm working on the 200,000 subscribers too. I'm at 150 now. So like and subscribe. <laughs> there you go. Uh, I liked your recent vlog where your dad joined you at Maple Hill and towards the end, or it was one of your recent vlogs. He's like, like and subscribe. Yeah, <laughs> was, yeah that was the last one. That was, got I figured I'd throw that in for a... Do you watch a lot of the vlogs Simon puts up, or is it kind of like, eh? Simon's vlogs? Yeah. Everyone. Okay. Yeah, for sure. There you go. Do you like and subscribe? <laughs> I have. Every time. I liked everything, and I've subscribed <laughs> since the first video you brought out. So, yeah. Wow. Awesome. All right. We'll probably take one more call if, oh, there it is. <laughs> well, let me get that call in here. Ooh, we both grabbed for it. It's funny. All right, welcome to the Nick and Matt show. You have a question for us. Hey, how are you doing? My name is Mikey. I'm from uh, California. Big fan of you guys, and my hope to hear is what, what Simon's father has taught Simon that he would love to teach his son. Thanks, guys. Thank you for the call. So the way I interpret that is you taught Simon something, and, and what is that thing that Simon wants to teach his son? So what did you get from your dad, Simon, that you would like to teach your son? I thought it was a question for him. He did. I, I feel like that's the way. Because you guys answer it how you want. Answer it how you want. You take take well, the microphone. I'll, I'll go first on that. And um, I, I, I don't feel as if I've uh, directly taught him this, but just a, it, just a matter of how you are and, and, and who you are and what you do and sort of this just just – chill out and have fun attitude and don't worry about winning or not. And it's, you know, just have fun on the course, do the best you can, be nice, be polite, be respectful of everybody and everything and the winning and all that kind of stuff follows that. So chill out, have fun. It's hopefully what he'll most of the, his house, no? It's all for, what a child paradise that will be. I'm really yeah. happy for his child. So I'll let Simon take over. Yeah, uh, I would have gone pretty much along the same lines there for my answer. Kind of just like, not really a whatever attitude, um, but we were talking about something today about this with the real, oh, I was with my mom, I think, about this. Um, we talked about some tri time traveling movie where you have to. The message was like you got to live each day twice, once like feeling all the emotions and being involved. And then the second time, like leaning back a bit and just being a bit relaxed and kind of just like smiling and everything and being like, oh, whatever it, it ha what happened, whatever happens, happens. Um, and that attitude, I think, was kind of what we grew up with. We had a very, very easy childhood. <laughs> we could pretty much do whatever we want, had, had all the freedoms. Um, I, I, I like to call it a long leash. Okay. Very long leash and kind of with this, whatever, <laughs> whatever, just do, don't die. <laughs> I like that, do, don't die. That's excellent. Um, if we get another call, we'll take it, but we're probably going to wrap it up, Ben, if you want to shut down the call here. Do you have any favorite disc golf memories, Dave? Um, it, it can be specifically for yourself, but it might be a shared one with Simon. Disc golf memory, something that stands out to you. Maybe it was a big win Simon had. Maybe it's a trip you took. Like, whatever it is, is there a special shared memory or memory that you have? Um, 
apart from all the uh, tournaments that we uh, drove to together and just the general camaraderie that I was lucky enough to be able to have with one of my sons, which is not that common, actually. You think, you know, fathers and sons is always so this thing, but to actually have this connection that we had for such a long time, just that general everything. Uh, but the one, the one memory uh, was when he went up to Finland and got and, and was in the finals with Climo and Feldberg, and stuff like that. That that's gonna stick with me forever. And his first win in the United States also when he actually came over here with Avery. And I was like, yes. And then he actually made his first win. I don't know if that was glass blown open yeah. or Texas glass. glass blown open, and it was just like all the pressure fell off, and it's like yes, he can do it. He can do it. <laughs> and uh, Konopista, oh, of course. I forgot the, the, the amazing thing at Konopista where we were down two strokes after, uh, after 16 holes and just thinking, oh, it's all over. And then he wins the tournament. It was, that was like, I completely forgot about that. That is obviously <laughs> the most mind blowing thing I've ever experienced with him in disc golfing, yeah, he actually. Was scanning for me. Yeah. So that was an amazing Konopista, what, 2016? Something like that? 17? You also carried for me in my best world championships in Georgia at the world championships when I was final round with the lead card with yeah. Johnny McCrary, Ricky Wysocki, and was it Adam Hammes in the finals, I think, too? I think Adam Hammes was there. I don't know if he made it into the finals, but he was certainly there, yeah. He was just up and coming then, right? That was like his first big stage, and I was yeah. like right there. It's really cool. Yeah. Wow, awesome. So we had a caller lined up. They dropped off. They got too nervous, I think. <laughs> Um, so let's go down this road. Um, Simon, as we get ready to wrap up this interview here, appreciate your time. First of all, recently a YouTube channel that has nearly 4 million subscribers made oh, yeah. a, yeah, made a video. Did you watch that video? Which video? <laughs> About yeah, this, like, this uh, mechanic arm that throws the disc oh, faster than I would. No, I haven't seen that. Okay. Oh, you have to see it. It's the YouTube channel. Shout out to stuff made here. Yeah. Um, in fact, that's a channel that is in my regular subscription feed that I like to watch. And one day, weeks ago, I said, oh, man, I wish someone like that would do. Like, whether it's Mark Rober or somebody really big would do a disc golf. And wouldn't you know, this guy did it. Amazing engineer. If you don't follow him, you're not one of the four million. But anyways, trying to make a disc robot arm that can throw faster than Simon did. So Simon, is that cool when things like that happen? And then how does it feel like when he messes up your last name? <laughs> that happens all the time. Uh, yeah, I'm used to that since first grade. Um, <laughs> but I was actually baptized with a totally wrong, wrong pronounced name, which is kind of hilarious. <laughs> uh, but uh, way off track. Yeah. Um, no, that channel, Stuff Made Here, I've been subscribed to that channel for years. Like, okay. I knew that guy. I've watched every single of his videos. I think he's a total genius. Yes. And he seems like like just the coolest guy, like in total nerd, but like just the coolest guy. And all the equipment and tools he has in his garage or basement, whatever it is, like how, like how do you have yeah. that? How did he do that? He has a video I think where he explains how he did it. But no, absolutely mind mind blowing stuff. He's such a genius. So fun to watch every single video. I recommend. They're all all amazing. And seeing him with disc golf discs and him actually being a recreational player was super cool. And then I commented on that latest video, and I think it's the top comment now with multiple thousand likes. And he replied to that comment as well, uh, which was obviously I was very starstruck and I was super, super happy. Um, I think he lives in North Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. So 
maybe USTGC Pro Tour finale time, I somehow maybe can try to reach out to him and do a little collab that, I mean, a lot of people in the comments were shouting out for that, which would be so cool. Um, I think his, he tried to beat <clears throat> my then record, which was 89 miles an hour or something like that, but uh, I've thrown over 100. <laughs> so he technically didn't beat my actual record, but in the video, obviously it was 89 miles an hour, but I've thrown over 90 multiple times. And my record is 103. Okay. So I got a challenge, of course, that that arm, if it can do 103, which it definitely can, but it might break itself. Like I broke my elbow. He, he beat the Lazati. He beat the Lazati record. He, the Lazati. Yeah. So that's great. That's I'm glad you filled in all those details because that was where I was hopefully leading that question. So that's awesome. I think that's just fantastic. And a collaboration would be pretty cool. Um, On like my seeing, channel. Sure. We'll split it. However you guys do that. But where you are going against the robot arm, like directly, head to head. <laughs> and a lot of people were saying, because he had the problem that obviously the robot was throwing really fast, but it wasn't getting the rotation on the disc. It needs to fly actually straight. So all his discs were just flipping over into rollers because they're so understable if they don't spin. Um, so everyone in the comments was like, you need a tilt, because that will never <laughs> flip over. Send him a tilt, Simon. So I'll definitely hopefully have some tilts when I get to meet that arm. Uh that's awesome. Or he needs to find a way. He said in the video also, obviously, he knows he needs some rotation on the disc. He's, he's a genius. Um, but he, would, he said it would take him freaking weeks or months to develop a proper mechanism that could um, throw this further than a human. Because humans are pretty amazing if you think about it. <laughs> we should spend some time thinking about that sometime. That's pretty cool. I yes. agree. <laughs> that guy is a genius. He goes through tours at certain points in his basement or now his workshop. That guy's got a million dollars worth of tools and like more much yeah, more i think he's sponsored just like you are in disc golf he's sponsored by tool companies like they send them these robot like cnc machine it's amazing so go check that out i just thought it was neat simon that someone featured you almost four million subscribers. it was one of my proudest moments awesome i was also once in a people are awesome video i don't know if you know what those are but those are like highlight reels kind of of human achievements a lot of gymnastic stuff or like trick shot almost i saw that yeah and that video had like 140 million views on facebook so uh there's been some there's been some cool stuff all right we just need to get you to do an ace that's like 700 feet on video so it beats Philobatros and it beats kevin jones then you can get that one i i will i think in the next couple of years think of the most viral disc golf <laughs> trick shot possible because there's this thing on TikTok, I don't know, it's probably on Instagram and all these things as well, where these people sit there with ping pong balls and you see like a hundred or thousands of ping pong yes. balls around and they try these crazy trick shots and you tr they, so they show everything. They just do a live stream even or something until they hit it for like hours. And those videos get millions of millions of clicks and I love watching them too. It's so entertaining. So I'm kind of trying to find exactly kind of like that in disc golf where... It's just going to be a shot where you're like, no, like not possible. But I have to kind of like preserve my arm at the same time. So that's hard. Yeah. Because there was a period of time, Simon, where, and I feel like it was even not this last Vlogmas, but the one before where you were like trying everyday trick shots, like every single day. And that's kind of where this injury, is that true? Where it kind of started coming from? Was it that table one it's, where you're skipping it off the table? It's it's a total overuse injury. So I, yeah. I don't know exact okay. point when it started. It, it just like started creeping up on me and then getting worse and worse with time. All right. Uh, and then finally, 
I feel like we wouldn't be doing anybody a favor if we didn't bring up this angry ape bag. I think I referred to it as Ooh. a gorilla bag at one point, but it's yeah. angry ape. Uh, it's featured in your recent videos, but it's launching March 23rd. Two days from now. Okay. Well, two days from, depends when people listen to this, but That's March right. 23rd. Yeah. And tell us, tell us about that. I love the way it looks. Is there any special features to that bag that the others didn't have, or is it only a design? Um, yeah, so there's actually a more detailed video coming out, I think, tomorrow on Discmania's channel where I kind of like show the bag and do like a more presented talk of how the design the, how the design came to be and what I like about the bag and basically the main features of any Grip AX5 bag. Um, it's a standard bag, like all signature series have been standard bags with kind of personalized artwork on them. Some might have like some special zipper tags or something. But uh, no, it's a ThoughtSpace Athletics collab again. So they designed the Angry Ape. I think that's what they're branding that bag now. Um, and at first, of course, the, the question is like, why Angry Ape? With that's my personality. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people online, I've read some comments, and a lot of people are just confused. Like, why, why didn't he go with like a black and red Lazat style bag? Like, that would be what, much more fitting and much more relatable. But uh, no, at first, when I saw that bag for the first time, the first sketches, I was like, hmm, I mean, it looks cool, but does, that's not me. Like, why would that be my signature bag? Um, but then kind of the more I looked over at it and I looked at some other options and the ape kept like coming back and I was like, why not just try something different, try something new. Um, and now I have the bag in person and it's just the coolest. And the bananas in the side pocket and on the back and the neon colors. Yeah, it's it's kind of a controversial bag a bit because it's like you either hate it or you love it. It's one of those things, which is not usually my style. I kind of try to please everyone always. So yeah, I just thought I literally messaged Thoughtspace and was like, "Yeah, let's go with the Angry Ape because why not? Let's try something different." And I loved your um again in your recent vlog, the bananas getting tossed at it all over. That was excellent. That that slow mo montage, I'm so proud of, and it happened so spontaneously again. <laughs> I mean, I've been kind of, I mean, we kind of threw Matt and I threw some ideas back and forth, but uh, no, we went up and I was like, man, there's so many pine trees, Christmas trees up here. Let's make it like a stupid slow-mo montage. And I found this weird um, jungle-like drum theme for the, for the background music. And uh, we did some stupid banana trick shots. <laughs> we were going to, yeah. sorry, there was only, we only brought one banana. <laughs> so by the time the shot worked yeah. you can see the bananas had a rough time yeah uh we were talking about using the drone to fly in a banana and just have it like oh, that'd be funny bouncing off you as you're throwing anyways i all, my first initial thought was in the vlog i want the banana like hidden in frame on every single shot just like as a joke Find um, the banana. but we didn't end up doing that but i'm i'm leaning towards just doing more and more silly stuff as well excellent that's excellent, Simon. Um, I have one last question to wrap up this. Again, I appreciate your time. I'm going to go to Dave with this last one. I saw it. I had it down in my notes, but then somebody in the chat asked it. I think it's relevant. They simply put it as, what advice would you give a parent of a competitive athlete? Okay, so, and I could even ask that question. My son was playing disc golf from a young age, competed at Junior Worlds, loves it. Um, is there anything that you wished you had done differently? So maybe what advice do you have? And then, I know disc golf wasn't it wasn't what it is now, so there's probably not much you wished you did differently. But what's your advice? My advice, or what I would have hoped to have ah, done differently? Both, both. 
what I hope to have done differently, nothing. Okay. Um, uh, apart from being more present of the moment when it was happening, because when I look back at things, um, uh, advice, practice putting. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody says that, right? But it really is. It really is. I mean, you can throw as far as you want, but if you can't put that eight, nine meter putt in almost all the time, then you'll be struggling. So practice putting, practice putting, practice putting. I, I said that was the last question, but I have to do the follow-up. Did what you ever have to tell Simon to do that? No. To practice putting? Or no, did he, he did that do? all by okay. himself. Okay. And and like he like he also always says, he he uh never went out and uh threw far or did a hundred putts after school in the backyard to get better directly, but just because it was fun. And he liked to push himself and he liked to make 15, 20 putts from 12 meters in a row in the backyard. And so um, uh, keep it fun. Also one of the uh, things to do, practice, 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 but keep it fun. And um, yeah, it'll take you a long ways. Keep it fun. Coming from Mr. Dave Lazat, I think there's a lot of uh, wisdom there. I appreciate your time. Uh, I feel really weird letting you go as being a host and not getting to shake your hand and say goodbye. Great to meet you. I hope I see you again. We can air shake. Um, Yeah, so good to meet you. Really excited. It was a true pleasure and an honor. I I don't have anything else to say besides that. I appreciate it very much. Well, thank you very much. I'm also very honored that I would be brought in here with honor. So (laughs) you know what I mean? And I'm also uh, blown away by the setup here and what you've been doing all these years and how often you've supported and helped Simon out. I'm very uh, happy about that. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Simon. Thank you very much for your time. We will. Thanks, Matt. We'll catch up again soon. Where are you, where are you going next? Texas States? No, no, I'm going to be in Georgia at the first major of the year at the champions cup that I think I would guess it's three, maybe four weeks from now. Okay. Um, And after that, I'm pretty much playing every single big pro tour there is. So then, Hopefully, I'll be my next time here will be after I win a tournament. <laughs> we'll do it. Thank you guys very much. Uh, see if you can get like a cookie or something on the way out. <laughs> Stephanie I would love a out. cookie. Please. Stephanie has these like blue. I don't know. She has these. She does a lot of stuff. Just ask her up there. She'll be she'll hook you up. Amazing wife you have. Thank you very much. Yeah. Again, I really appreciate it. When do you head out? Friday. Okay, I'll be there. No, I'm Saturday. It was a thank you, Simon, for bringing him in. Oh, my pleasure. All right, everybody. So that was truly special opportunity. When I heard that option was there, I took full advantage of that and said, let's make it happen. And Simon's dad was very gracious to say he would come in. I want to talk about this product. Now, you say, Matt, why are you showing me the chapstick on screen? The reason I'm showing you the chapstick on screen is because it's not chapstick. This is currently my favorite disc golf product that there is on the market. Now, for anybody that is not watching, I am holding what looks like a chapstick container, but inside of it is a product called DG Max Wax. Now, this is not the original product. Let me put it this way. They have a, a wax mini, and this wax mini is fully and can be fully used as a mini on the disc golf course. And, and do you remember, Evan, I tossed this to Simon earlier. And do you remember like what the first thing he said was? He was like, ooh, it smells good. 
And Nick and I say that almost every time. It stands out. And here's the deal. I went and did a little research on this. I reached out to Josh over at DG Maxwax. And he said, the scent is called Citradelic. And it's a blend of pure essential oils designed to keep you calm and focused on the course. And of course, it smells great. But that's like, it's multi-purpose. It's good for your fingers. It's good for your, your health, your brain, your mental game. That's, I think that's excellent. That's just forward thinking right there. Well, and I, I had to tell him over and over this product in the chapstick, my favorite thing to date, the mini. The reason why I'd, I'm not showing the mini on screen right now is because it's in my disc golf bag and it's not here in studio. I asked for a few more so I can have some for the studio. Uh, it's an awesome product. And I want to say this. Thank you to our listeners and our viewers. A tremendous response. I'm not going to say the numbers, but I'm talking. I was blown away by how many of you went and purchased this. If you're sitting on the fence, just know there are hundreds of you who purchased this. I'll leave it at that. And there's probably hundreds, if not thousands more of you who are like, eh, maybe the product's good, maybe it's not. Try it out. Literally find out for yourself. I will keep talking about this. It's excellent. DG Max Wax gives you unparalleled confidence in your grip in any conditions without sacrificing hand feel. The added grip allows you to spin the disc faster, which means longer, straighter, more accurate flights. All I can say is good things about this product. Go out and check it out. But here's the deal. You can find it at a lot of local pro shops. If your local pro shop doesn't have it, ask for it. But if you want to get a, a 10% off, go over to dgmaxwax.com, enter a code Nick and Matt. You get 10% off. And it's a great product. Try it out. Tag us in it. Tag DG Max Wax. Let us know. Go give reviews on this product after you purchase it from the retailers or wherever you're doing that. So thank you, DG Max Wax. All right, Evan. We need some stats from Belton. And then we're going to talk about how important Belton is, if it is or it isn't. But I just want to know the quick hitting, what happened. I'm sure you have a recap for us. Yeah, you kind of you kind of said to the start, uh, Chris Dickerson took it down by three strokes. He led by six strokes going into the final round, uh, going to the third and final round, that is, uh, and still took it home by three strokes over Paul McBeth and Ricky Vaisaki, who tied for second. Nicola Castro got a fourth place finish. And then Kyle Klein, who made a huge splash last year and was kind of a little quiet to start the season. Maybe we're getting into some courses that fit him better. Uh, on the FPO side, Katrina Allen took it down in a thrilling finish. Uh, well, Chris Dickerson kind of had a solid lead and, uh, and kept that lead through the end of the tournament. Uh, Katrina Allen had a fight for it. She came into the uh, third round with a one-stroke lead, held on to a one-stroke lead to win it over Valerie Mandohanu, who made a huge rush from the chase card, I believe. And then Kristen Tatar fumbled a little bit at the end and kind of let Katrina uh, get that victory. Uh, she comes in third place, two strokes behind Katrina Allen. Something I thought was interesting is Katrina Allen was round rating wise was super consistent um, from her best round to her worst round, which I think was a 991 to a 976, 15 point difference between the best and the worst. And to me, I was like, that sounds really consistent, does it not? Yeah, I agree. Like usually we see big swings like Chris Dickerson, for instance, was all the way up at 1081. I don't have it right in front of me, but I believe it was his final round was a 1027, um, which is lower than he should throw being a 1040 player um 15 rating points i thought would have been really solid that is not true that happens very often for the winner i think i had something like 15 times in the last couple of years on silver series or better events that the winner has shot with all all their rounds within 15 rating points of each other so maybe that's something we we do see that consistency does matter um also a notable statistic that i saw is 
Paul McBeth and Rick Wiosaki tied for second. I said that at minus uh, 20, at 22 mm-hmm. down, minus 22. Strokes gained T to green. Paul McBeth was 11.29. Ricky Wiosaki was 11.20.09 off. Gained putting. Paul McBeth was 6.12. Ricky Wiosaki was 6.21.09 off again. So they, they tied in the end. <laughs> 0.09 strokes gained for both T to green and putting. Uh, kind of mirror image. I didn't get to watch a lot of it. I don't know if their games kind of matched each other this weekend, but uh, really interesting to see the stats line up that way. I started doing a little bit of investigation, but I knew you'd come in and fill it all in. But I noticed that Paul was throwing very accurately, but it seemed like, and he didn't do it much. But the point is when he did have to scramble, it was like a 50-50 type deal. But it wasn't very much that he had to do that. So that was kind of one of the issues. And then putting, as you mentioned, I think he missed, and it's not, I want to, I don't want to say a wrong number. I want to say five in circle one putts. If you hit those the way you're supposed to, now granted, I know it's very windy, but if you hit those, then he, is that enough to beat Chris? Uh, either yeah, way. And I'm sure. sure if everyone else, but I think he missed more putts than Ricky did inside circle one. And I'm, I'm assuming, I forgot to look if, if he missed more than Chris, but I'm, I think that was Paul's issue, but. Good for Paul, though. He, he was like, what, almost 40th place coming out of round one. Yeah, right. Oh, tie. which, yeah, I didn't even get to this, but yeah. uh, uh, our good friend <laughs> Nick Carl beat Paul McBeth in round one. Uh, that's his first time in his career. Uh, I put out some cool stats on Twitter. I, that was a couple of days ago. Like, I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but I think it was 65 rounds in a row to start Nick Carl's career that when he's faced Paul McBeth that Paul has either beaten him or tied him and they notably tied at Waco round one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Nick one upped it beat yeah. Paul by one stroke was his first time. I, I, I want to find this number. It's okay. I'm going to, I'm going to find this okay, number find in a it. second. He but, averaged. I, I have this. If you look that up, because I was, I was like, Nick, it's funny. Nick isn't satisfied. Okay. Which is fine. And I think it's motivating to see that to him 40th place on the pro tour is not good enough. Now, Coming from me, I'm like, that's amazing. I wish I could do 40th. Even though I said previously, like, I could play stop 10. That was a, that's like, it's a kind of a joke. It was a dream joke. But like for him, he's not satisfied with that. And I'm like, dude, you're averaging this event. He averaged 1,015. And I'm like, I know that's not winning, but that's a, you're a good disc golfer, Nick. Like, good job, you know? And he's feeling a little down on himself, but give him, give him a little bit more time. Like he's, he's on his way. He beat Paul McBeth in round number one. Like yeah, he, the, he, tr- the tide is changing. No. He tied Simon sitting right next to us earlier. He <laughs> yeah. tied him at Waco, yeah. um, which, you know, I'm sure both of them felt like they could have played better, but still tying him is Simon's really in the impressive. dad, the dad haze, like the baby, like new baby haze. Like, <laughs> but Nick just keep on getting at it. If that's, if that's your fuel to get better then so be it. Yeah. But, uh, still take some time to be proud of yourself, for what you've done. Uh, but this stat's not going to do that. I'm sorry. Um, Paul McBeth, leading into the Open at Belton, uh, had beaten Nick by 624 strokes in total uh, in all the rounds they've played. Um, same course together, I believe. Um, that's 9.44 strokes better per round. Um, but that does take in a few of uh, Nick's early career. I think Ledgestone, he lost by 20 strokes in just <laughs> in rounds before uh, 2017 Ledgestone. That is uh, Nick's first event on the pro tour. So I, I'm sure if I took that number just from like the last 12 months, it'd be a lot, lot lower. 
Um, but I thought that was interesting. Uh, Nick finally brought it down from 624 down to 623, but then let Paul have a few more strokes by the end of the tournament. But I, I noticed one more really interesting fact is I, I mentioned how Paul McBeth and Ricky Wysocki were really close. If you look at just circle one and regulation for the top three, now that's including Chris Dickerson, they were all exactly 46%. I just thought that was interesting. Just all three exactly the same. I mean, Kyle Klein actually had a better circle one in regulation at 52%. Unfortunately, his putting was a little bit lower. He was at uh, 82% where um, Ricky, Paul McBeth, and Chris Dickerson were a little higher. So we have a little bit of time here before we bring in Chris Dickerson, which we're going to get him lined up here in a little bit. Um, one of the things that came to my thoughts when it came to him winning and when it came to Katrina Allen winning is both have new bags, right? And you go back to Valerie Mandahano. She won Waco, new bag. And you go back to Las Vegas Challenge. Who won? Uh, Katrina Drew, Allen. And Drew Gibson, which is not fully well, new. Okay, He's I was, open, I, was going, yeah. I was just sticking on FPS okay. side, but yes, yes, you're absolutely That's right. right. So, I mean, we have MPO winners right now that aren't, Either they aren't disc manufacturer specific or they're new to the disc manufacturer they're with. That's interesting. Um, that's our winners right now. And it's hard to ask the question this way, and it's probably not the best way to pose it, but like who's playing their new bag the best out of those? Would you say, like, who would you say? And my immediate answer is Katrina Allen. Yeah, I would agree. Like, and I'm going to, I might bring this up in the interview. I'm not sure. But where Chris talks about like, hey, I'm not fully comfortable, da, da, da. Then he says, I am. Then he says, I'm going to kill it. So like, he was still on this trend. But like Katrina, how fast did she turn around with DGA? She waited till when to March to announce it. Well, I think the announcement came later than <laughs> okay. when she got her back. Sure. But still, I, it, incredibly impressive to go, even, even if she had the full offseason, let's say right after Pro Tour Championship, she announced her switch. It's Although still, I don't think she says that she says that like it was like she didn't say last minute, but she did yeah. say like it wasn't a thought until it was a thought. But yeah, no, totally fair. I'm just saying I don't if, know. Like, even if yeah. it was a whole offseason, yeah. it's still very impressive to totally switch over back. She was a prodigy mm -hmm. for a long time. Mm -hmm. Had that really down. pretty much. I mean, that's it. Prodigy was it. Yeah, well, no, she started with disc. She started with DGA and then didn't she okay. go to. But it was crap? I guess the point I guess the point I was trying but to that's make, like and that was not years right. Ago, right? Yeah. Six years ago, something like that. The point I was trying to make not accurate is that. But yes, Prodigy was like her career. Like that's who she was most experienced yeah. with. Well, yeah. it'll be interesting to hear from uh, Chris, but I he made he got the hot round in round one of Las Vegas Challenge. Very first, you know, elite round of the season. He's out in the lead was looking great but then he kind of fills it off by the end and i, I forget what he finished at but it, he didn't wasn't really on the lead card by the end wasn't really in the hunt for the win and it kind of felt like he has had these hot rounds he has done well but he's also kind of mixed it in with not super great rounds i mean even his last round um going on to his win was 10 27 that's not really a winner's round uh but his first two were you know i think 10 72 and 10 81 which are incredibly impressive so i think he might be round around kind of going from either confident to not still getting used to it in that sense. Um, whereas Chris Dickerson, I think we kind of think of as like a consistent, just like consistently good player, um, not super flashy, but just always good. And now he's kind of, I don't know if the trend goes that way or not, but at least it feels that way that it's a little bit more up and down this season, even though the ups are incredibly, incredibly good. Help me. Think of names I might be forgetting here. We have Chris Dickerson, who changed Katrina Allen, Valerie Mandahano, um, Kona Ricky, Panis, Ricky Wysocki. Ricky um, is there any other note? I mean, there, okay, there's other notables in there like Nico and 
but let's just maybe stick with those top five. If I had to put them in order, right now, based off of the eye test, and that's what I'm doing the eye test. I'm not the numbers guy right now, Evan. The eye test to me is it's Katrina and then Valerie. And then it's a little bit of a split between Ricky and Dickerson, but I would almost say Dickerson has had more firepower than Ricky has had, but Ricky's been playing consistent, but I would, that's a, that's a split for me. I feel like if I had to give the nod, Oh man, I kind of feel like Ricky only because Ricky hasn't said anything negative about is this not even like, Hey, I'm trying to dial them in. So it'd be Ricky, Chris. And that's even a little, I still call that a split, but then it's Kona. Like Kona, we're not going to make a full topic out of that right now, but like you have to wonder what's going through her mind right now. She's going to be getting married soon. She just signed a massive contract deal. She's not finishing where she wants to be for sure. And I'm, and she's not finishing as good as she did last year. Uh, that is interesting. I'm not blaming that on the disc change. I think she has maybe a lot going on, but you have to wonder the pressure that's going to start to build there. I'm also going to say Haley King, like she, we all thought like, when is she going to take the leap up and become like a top three with uh, Katrina Allen, Paige Pierce, and then Haley King Europeans come over and Kristen Tatar has kind of taken that uh, kind of number th or top three spot. Is it just the courses don't fit Haley King's game? Is she still getting used to it? Is the season just kind of starting off slow? I, I think we all know her potential. So I'm a little bit surprised she hasn't made as much of a splash as she has. And then I'll also mention Matt Orem, who unfortunately had to uh, go through the surgery to start the season. I don't think he's played a competitive event since then. I don't know when he's planning on coming back, um, but you got to make like, he's probably going to make a splash eventually too. You're at least waiting on it. Yeah. So we're going to find out as the season continues on, like who's going to be able to handle this and will it come down to it being a bag issue? Let's say, Ricky never, I mean, he got second here, but let's say Ricky, and this is not a hot take. Ricky doesn't win any events. Do we say, oh, it's a, it's a learning year for him. Is that the storyline? Or do we just say disc golf is getting that much more competitive? Paul came out, maybe again, maybe it was the right time. He came out and went to Discraft, but he was able to do a lot of winning right out of the gate with Discraft. So I'm not trying to manufacture or fabricate anything here. It's just the questions that I have. about. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll say real quick on for Ricky Wysocki is I don't I don't think there's any worry there, any doubt that he's not a top top player. No. I, I'd say it's guaranteed top three player. Uh, you could fit any of um, Paul McBeth and Eagle McMahon in that top three. It just if he doesn't win at all this season, I would be very surprised. I think we kind of look back at was it 2019 as Lyme disease year and kind of draw parallels between this year and that. Yeah, for sure. So we are working right now in the background to get uh, Chris Dickerson lined up here on the show. So let me see here while I work my magic and Evan works. I mean, and Ben works his magic. I think we've done it, Ben. Uh, let's go ahead and introduce to the show Mr. Chris Dickerson, everybody. Winner of the Open at Belton. How is it going, Chris? How does the win feel? Hey, uh, doing good. Uh, feels good. Okay. Feels good. Um, how do you treat Silver Series in your mind? Are you taking it with a grain of salt? How do you feel about Silver Series? The competition was there, but what's your take on it? Yeah, so really the only difference between a Silver Series and uh, actual Pro Tour event is the the money added. Um, like you said, the competition's there. So um, I look at it just like a Pro Tour event. Okay. So in your mind, you, you're going to build off of this and say this was just as good to me. 
Okay. Um, interesting. I've, I'm not a stalker. I'm a guy that talks disc golf and I was looking at your social media coming out of Vegas and you said, Hey man, I'm, or not, you didn't say, Hey man to me, but you posted more or less saying, I'm still trying to dial in my bag. Okay. You weren't happy with your performance. I'm still trying to dial in the bag. And then I noticed when you were coming out of Waco, you said, and this was a week later or somewhere in that range, I'm feeling extremely confident with my new discs. So in a week time, you felt a significant change. Um, and then you went to Belton and you just took it down. So I think you were telling us what you were actually feeling accurately. Um, but what was the change to you from Vegas to Waco? Totally different kind of courses. But for you, what do you think the change was that led you to feel so confident with your discs? So um, just a couple of different things, a little bit more time uh, getting to throw them and um, getting a couple of discs in the lineup that I had not uh, had a chance to use up until then. Um, one of those discs was uh, the Predator. So uh, I think that's a very underrated disc. Uh, that's a disc that I will be using a lot. And I used it a good amount at um, Belton. Okay. Uh, and I was just going to ask too about Belton from my perspective as a fan viewing the coverage, it seemed extremely windy, windy. Is that an accurate representation of that round or those rounds? Yes. Yes. Um, very windy. The, uh, the second round, I think it was only like a 10 mile an hour wind, maybe 15. Uh, but it wasn't very much at all compared to the other days. Okay. Um, you had a significant lead going into the final round <clears throat> Uh, Evan, how many was it? Was it? Six strokes. Six strokes. Thank you. I'm always forgetting in the moment here. And you started off teeing off in the, the strong wind that we just talked about, and you pushed out of bounds. How does Chris Dickerson react to something like that? Are you really strong mentally? Like, how do you react to that? Um, <clears throat> you can you can react to it a bunch of different ways. Uh, I wasn't happy about it. I mean, a lot of people wouldn't be happy about it, uh, but it's what you do after you react to it. So I, I got upset. Um, I didn't think the wind would push it that much. So um, you just got to move on to the next shot. So I think there's where the, the mental battle uh, comes into play. You can't linger on that shot. You've just got to go into the next one. Okay. Awesome. Hey, Ben, let's open up the phone lines in case someone wants to call and get a question in. Again, if you are live viewing the show, feel free to call in and ask any question you like. Again, we always tell our guests they don't have to answer, but you can ask it. We'll let you get the questions in if you have any. The phone number's on the screen. Um, let's let's go down this road here a little bit. You talked about now, at least coming out of Waco again, you said, I'm feeling very confident with the discs. Now you have a new new disc. You mentioned a few of them that are added to your bag. Um, what I'm trying to think how to ask this question. You go into the woods at Belton, and mm -hmm. you're able to. I say the woods at Belton. How much of the how much of that course is wooded? Not very much. <clears throat> okay, so there are four holes that are wooded at Belton. Okay, so there are 14 that are not. Okay, and I think where I think where my head was when I was asking that question was Waco. You you went from Vegas where you said, "Hey, I'm not feeling very strong with my disc." Then you went to Waco and you came out of Waco saying, "I'm feeling very confident." Um, I'm taking this away from Belton right now. And I'm going to Waco because that's another event that's happened. Um, mm -hmm. How did you feel at Waco? Like your performance at Waco, like your throws. Did everything feel really good? You just missed a few shots to put you in the the final round. 
Yeah, uh, everything was feeling good going into that final round. Um, the wind picked up quite a bit, and um, I think the only disadvantage I had there was uh, that was like the first real taste of uh, throwing the new disc in a really, really windy situation. Uh, Vegas, it was kind of windy, but it wasn't near as windy as Waco. Um, so I had an idea. I had a pretty good idea of how the discs were going to fly. Uh, there was a couple of times where um, I overestimated or underestimated a disc and it um, didn't turn out the best. But um, the good thing about Waco is you play holes one, two, and three, you get out of the wind for a little bit, you go into the woods, and then you come back out on, I think, 13 or so. So um, there in that wooded stretch is really where I, I think I made up some strokes. Yeah, and, and I, again, I miss, miss I was miscorrect. Oh, it's the right word. I was, I was wrong about saying Belton having, being wooded. Again, I was thinking Waco, because here's where I wanted to go with this, is to say, then you went to Belton, and not as wooded and you were able to play on a course where honestly I'm watching it going you're going against very far throwers I mean you're talking um well anybody I mean not anybody who well, I'm having a brain freeze what's his name um give give it to me lead card funny hair looks like a muppet no oh goodness who who is it why am I having what's it I'm so confused by the end of a sponsored player you're talking about Calvin. Thank you. What? Thank you. <laughs> Everyone in here is just laughing their heads off at me. I had the biggest brain freeze moment there. My point is extremely far. Th Everyone's just crying now in here. The, like extremely far throwers. Uh, you have Kevin Jones. You have Ricky Wysocki. You've got a lot of players that can put down a lot of distance. You have been, even on our show, you have said like, like accurately. I'm in that like 450 range. You mm -hmm. performed at Belton, and you feel like distance is an advantage, right? Yeah. So how how uh, proud of yourself do you feel that you did that with the farthest throwers in the game? Um, I feel pretty good. Uh, one, I think whenever it becomes a, a really windy situation, I always tend to lean on the, uh, the overstable discs, and I've always kind of done that instead of trying to play hyzer flips and stuff like that into the wind. So – um, and I, I tend to throw those more over stable discs, uh, whenever it's not windy. So I think, uh, in situations like that, whenever the wind picks up, I'm throwing the discs I'm kind of used to instead of, um, some people are guessing kind of like what I was doing at Waco. Um, maybe this will work. Maybe it won't. I, I have an idea of how it's going to fly, but maybe not. So, um, yeah, when the wind picks up, I lean on those overstable discs. Okay, and I want to I want to take a moment here because I am somebody who talks and records live. I want to take a moment to reel back just a hair and say, I have no intention of comparing it of uh, Calvin to a Muppet. I was literally thinking the hair. Okay, like I was like I major brain freeze. <laughs> so there's no offense meant there at all. I like Calvin. In fact, Evan, I don't know if you know this. Right behind you on that couch, we sat and played games together, me and Calvin. So we're friends. Okay, we're friends. Uh, we have a call lined up. I'd like to uh, bring in the call and see what they have for a question here. Welcome to the Nick and Matt show. You got a question? I listen to a lot. And yes, I do have a question. Um, Chris Dickerson has uh, played a lot of tournaments in West Virginia at the Seth Burton Memorial, I believe. is He's frequented. I've watched him personally, and 
watching them lace these lines and how West Virginia disc golf is so much harder than I look at Texas, whatever, whatever that Texas course is. And I think of West Virginia, uh, it's a two question thing. Um, have you played the black course over there in Moundsville, which is, I think probably the best course I've ever stepped foot on. And, uh, have you played at Johnny Sias's two courses, which is the lazy eight and the crazy eight or the lucky eight. And the, um, West Virginia disc golf is about ready to make a move, I believe, based on some sources. And mm. I'd like to hear his thoughts on how awesome uh, West Virginia disc golf is and extremely punishing. Thanks. You guys have a good night. Thank you very much. Chris, do you have any comment on West Virginia disc golf? Yes. So um, I've played, I've played three courses in West Virginia. Um, as far as tournaments and stuff like that. Uh, the black course designed by Johnny Sias, um, that is one of my favorite courses. Um, it, I haven't played it in a very long time, but it, it was a really good layout, uh, mixture of open and wooded. Um, now the Seth Burton Memorial plays on two different kinds of courses. Uh, the Seth Burton course and the Orange Crush course. Uh, completely different. Like I said, Seth Burton is more open, kind of park uh, style wooded. The Orange Crush is completely wooded, and it is, um, it's the type of course that they probably wouldn't have on the Pro Tour. Um, not because it's not good, but it's, it's overly wooded. Um, I think it's a really good setup. I would love to play it as a pro tour course, but um, <clears throat> you can't fit spectators in the woods. Ooh. So um, all the courses I played in West Virginia are really good. Um, I've, like I said, I've played the three of them, so I, I haven't played a bad one yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And there's a whole conversation there about spectators in the woods. I might follow up with that in a minute, but we have another caller lined up. Welcome to the Nick and Matt show. You got a question? Hey, it's Mikey round two. Uh, this time I learned to mute the stream. So I'm not hearing myself, so I don't sound weird, but uh, Chris, I'm a huge fan and I've noticed you've moved away from doing the step putt uh, in the most recent tournaments. And I was just wondering, has that been like a conscious decision of yours with the new putters? Are you feeling more comfortable just going from your traditional uh, staggered putt? Or is, is that something else uh, maybe you're just building from the ground up with the new putters? Love to hear. Thanks, Chris. Bye. So uh, that, that comes from about, I would say, close to a year ago. Uh, I got into a kind of a slump whenever it came to outside the circle putting. Um, it, it just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel like it used to, and they weren't going in. Um, so I started doing um, standstill putts, more traditional uh, style of putts, and then if it's a really long putt, it'll be a, a jump putt. Um, so that's what has been feeling the best. And um, like any other sport, you know, if you force something, if it doesn't feel good, it's probably not going to work out. So uh, I've just been going with what feels the best. Okay. Awesome. Appreciate that. We have another caller lined up. The hot, the phone is hot tonight, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Welcome to the show. You have a question for Chris. 
Yeah, hi. This is uh, Nick from the Nick and Matt Show. Uh, I don't really have a question for Chris, but I did just want to say congratulations. I didn't really get a chance to say it after the roundup, Elton. But uh, huge congratulations, and I hope everyone is doing well tonight. Nick, you know you can call into your own show through the special hotline. You don't have to use this one. That's pretty funny. So I don't even, I don't even know what the special hotline is. <laughs> oh, you know, the other number we gave you. But that's yeah, awesome. So yeah. I don't know if Chris knew that, but Nick wasn't in studio tonight, so Nick had to call in on his own show. Yep. Okay. Yep, I, I knew that. So I, I just want to say, you know, thanks for reaching out, and uh, thanks for, you know, coming to your own show. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge, huge fan. You know, would have missed this show for the world. You know, unfortunately, I have to, I have to do a massive drive right now. So I figured it'd be safe to, you know, just, just focus on the driving and not actually, you know, being there in person. But huge fan of the show. Huge fan of yours, Chris. You know, huge fan of Discraft. And uh, yeah, you know, just wanted to call in. You know, just give my well wishes. That is so funny. You guys are cracking me up. I love it. <laughs> this is two weeks yeah. in a row. This is two weeks in a row. I've started almost crying and sweating for something like that. So thank you. That was excellent. <laughs> the, the humor was excellent, Chris. Like, you're like, thank, I want to thank you for reaching out. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> and then Nick just responds yeah. immediately. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, all right, I'll yeah, let you guys really, get back uh, to the show. I'm going to turn it back on. <laughs> Nick, we ran. did you hear the part where we talked about your stats? No, no, all I don't right. want to know about my stats. Nick I don't knows know all I about them. All right, re rewind it. You can hear some good things we said and some scary things. We said some. We said some stuff. The all scary right. things probably being like fifty percent circle one, ten percent <laughs> circle two. You know, those those might be the scary things. <laughs> oh boy! All right, we're actually going to get into stat or fiction. If feel free to hang out if you want, we can keep you in. It's up to you. No, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Okay. Hang up now, and I'm going to enjoy being a listener tonight. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'll hang up, and I'll hear your answer offline. Okay, cool. <clears throat> we'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. <laughs> so, so Chris, we'll pay you later for being the co-host here. Okay. okay. We're going to take one more phone call, Ben. Let's answer this one. The, again, this is hot phone lines tonight. Thank you for calling the Nick and Matt show. You have a question for Chris? Yes, uh, Chris, this is Daniel from Texas, and I was wondering, uh, it looked like you lost two strokes to Paul within the first four holes, and I was wondering, did you even know that, or does you or your wife look at the scores? And secondly, uh, when you're in the lead, is it different when you know that Paul is the one uh, charging behind you as opposed to another uh, player? Thank you. Thanks, Daniel. <clears throat> so... Um... Yeah, within the first four holes, um, I was pretty sure I gave up strokes to at least one person uh, with how I was playing because I think I started off with the out-of-bounds on the first hole. Uh, I know I gave up two to Ricky and one to Calvin and Emerson. So those were the three on the card. Um, birdied hole two. Uh, I think I part hole three, but then I – I bogeyed hole five. So that was another one I'm pretty sure I gave back um, at least one to most of the people in the field and two to Calvin because he eagled it. Um, you know, Paul always has good rounds. And um, you've got to, you know, you, you know he's there whenever um, he's playing a tournament, whenever he's on. 
lead cart or chase cart, but there's so many people uh, now in our sport that can compete for the win. Um, you've got to watch out for everybody. Interesting. I think I'm, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You got to respect everybody. Cause I don't think you're probably, and you just kind of said this, you're not actively thinking about, Oh man, they're coming to get me. They're behind me playing better than I am, but you respect all those players. Yeah, of course. And that's something you can't do. You can't say, um, Oh, I'm really focused on what one player or another is doing. So for example, I'll use Paul for an example. I can't focus on what he's doing, whether he's on the card or not. Um, the only time that you can really, in my opinion, focus on what somebody's doing is whenever it comes down the stretch. So um, on hole 17, I think was the first time I checked the scores uh, of the last round. And I checked, made sure uh, what the scores were for everyone around me. Uh, I know Ricky was close, uh, Calvin um paul was there uh paul parred 17 and he birdied 18 to make it let's see three strokes i believe um so yeah on 17 coming down the stretch uh you do need to know what other people are doing but that early on in the round it doesn't really matter as long as you're not doing anything too too bad yeah, we hear that sentiment from a lot of the best players, and uh, I would include you in that list. So it's something we can take away for sure. Are you ready, Ben? And, and if you don't mind, Chris, stick around for sad or fiction. You played really well last time. You're down for another round? Yeah, sure. Right. Uh, I'm just upset that Nick's not here tonight. Stat or fiction, presented <laughs> by Stat Mando. Did you hear that, Nick? He's uh, You're driving and you're listening. He's upset that you're not around to be beaten, so... <laughs> I'm sure Nick got a good smile out of that one. All right, so we have Evan up on here because when Nick's not on the show, things get all thrown off, and I don't feel like reproducing the show in a different way. So Evan actually has an opportunity to score tonight if we don't get it right. So if we both guess stat, Chris, and it's fiction, he gets a point. So we can't let Evan beat us at the very least, but I'd still like to beat you. Chris is very competitive. Give it to us, Evan. Let's go. Okay. So Ricky Wysocki tied for second at this most recent tournament. Um, and with that, Ricky Wysocki has finished podium at every single Silver Series event that he has played. Okay. And because we're the only ones answering, Chris, I'll start. You can go second, and then we'll flip it for the next <clears throat> round. Um, okay. My analysis that I am going to talk out loud, because maybe it's wrong and I'll throw Chris off, but I'm trying to think how many Silver Series. He, he plays a fair amount for players that play silver series like he does he plays a lot um mm -hmm. um i don't feel like that's true i'm gonna say fiction i was thinking the same thing um as much as i don't want to pick the same thing as you i think it's fiction okay and the fun part here and that's awesome we actually have did you put that up, Ben? How did people know to answer already? That's awesome. If you're in the live chat, you can answer. It looks like we dropped the link in there for you um, so that you can answer. And we have 57% saying fiction as well. Right now, 42% saying stat. So there are people who think stat, but more say fiction. Let's see if that's right. Evan, what do you got? Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I think someone in the chat might be a tad confused. When I say podium, that means they have come in first, second, or third. Not necessarily a second at every single time. I know you guys oh, know right. that, but yes, just want to clear did. that up. Yes. It's top three, essentially. Okay. Um, and with that, 
The answer is fiction. Uh, okay. Waisaki has played incredibly well at Silver Series. He has finished top five at every event, but at 2021 Vintage Open, he finished fifth, which was outside of podium. He does have three wins, including Belton last year. Uh, and this then this was his, yeah, it's only was his second non-win on a Silver Series. So three wins to go with a second place and a fifth place. Very impressive. Cool. Yeah, interesting. Had you asked me about Calvin Heimberg, I would have had a few thoughts about his Silver Series performances. But anyway, how he won Vintage last yeah. year. Yeah. Okay. That's the only event. Oh, okay. 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 Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Anyways. I like Calvin. Chris is gonna go away from here, being like, "What's Matt's bone with Calvin?" <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's just become a thing on our show, Chris. And I don't know. It's just funny. People are like, "Matt hates Calvin." <laughs> it's just one of these things I go now. All right. Let's give number two, uh, Evan. All right. So uh, Katrina Allen took it down on the FPO side with Valerie Mandohano finishing second. They both. Finished, finished on the podium. They've also both finished on the podium last week with uh, Manduhano taking it down and Katrina Allen finishing third. Um, before Waco in 2022, that has never happened before, being Katrina Allen and Valerie Manduhano both finishing podium um, at an elite major or silver series event. So prior to 2020 Waco, Manduhano and Katrina Allen had never both finished on the podium at a silver or better event. 2022? 2022 Waco. What did I say? 2020, but that's okay. Oh, 2022. And we're talking specifically about Kat and Valerie. Yes. Okay. Do you, do you need that repeated at all, Chris? Or are you good to answer? No, I think, I think I'm good. I'm going to say that that is a stat. I feel like, Ooh, this is interesting. And I'm saying it's never happened before. So if you say stat, you agree. It's never, never happened before, before before 2022, before Waco last week. Right. Um, wait, and just to be clear, you weren't saying back to back again. You're no, just sorry. saying ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah just okay. ever. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, this this week it happened back to back, but has it yeah. ever happened before that? Um, I feel like Valerie flew under the radar for last year. I can't remember. We had her on. Uh, see, I'm going into my interview queue. I'm like, we had her on to discuss a performance, and I'm trying to remember what that performance was. I want to say it was Waco. But I'm trying to remember what happened there. Did Katrina place podium there? Man. Well, for the sake of drama and fun, I'm going to roll the dice and say that it is fiction. All right. And before I say the answer, I'll say the live chat has stat at 72%, a whopping 72%. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, wow. I did not expect that. Good call out there, by the way. Thanks to the live chat for getting in on this. It makes it really fun. 27% saying fiction. Come on, 27%. (laughs) Here we go. But I will say the fans and Chris Dickerson are correct. (sighs) This is a stat. Um, They actually both finished, or sorry, not both. Um, The worst finishing between the two was fourth at the Open at Belton last year. I actually didn't write down who finished fourth and who finished better than fourth. Um, But the worst finished fourth uh music city open the worst finish fifth along with ledgestone in 2020 a lot of good finishes but not that podium uh for both of them until this year okay thanks again to the live chat we still have another question coming up here or a stat or fiction from evan my only chance is to get this right to tie it to push a playoff so and i get to answer first which is the problem (laughs) all right so go ahead evan what do you got so um, on statmando.com released a new kind of stat page uh, called Battle Count. This is the uh, all the unique players you have beaten in your career. 
So if like Chris Dickerson beat Paul McBeth this week, he had done that before in his career, but that would be one. So it only one. counts once. Got beating it. Paul McBeth each at any player. point in your career. Yes. It's each okay. unique out of all your events together, whether yes. you won or you came in second to last and beat that person. Okay. That's a good little clarifier. Yes. So if he got 70th, but Paul got 71st, he beat Paul. Got yes. It. Okay. But once you do it once, it counts. Doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you lose the other hundred. And you have times. this stat? Yeah, it's wow. on our page right now. So okay. if you looked at it, you would know. Okay. Um, ben, so, ben, look at no. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. So the stat or fiction associated with that is Paul Eulaberry, excuse me, has beaten more unique players in PDG events than anyone else. Um, anyone else in the Statmando database. I want to be clear, but we have <sighs> most players in every single one that played Elite Series events last year. So. I really hate this portion because if he's a game, we do you guys agree we have to make Chris answer first because he's only going to answer what I'm answering to guarantee the win. Do you see what I'm saying? Like well, whatever I answer, he answers and he wins. Yeah, maybe this. So, be, oh, do you do you buy into I'll, that, Chris? I'll I will definitely go first okay. because uh, I don't I don't want to be accused of that. I was already thinking, <laughs> and I was I was prepared to explain myself and say. I'm not doing this just to get the win. Um, <laughs> well, good. So, I yeah. gave you the opportunity. I appreciate that. So yeah, I, I will answer first and I will say that that is a stat. Dang it. <sighs> now, see, <laughs> we would have answered the same thing. We would have answered the same thing. And I was going to answer it very quickly um, <laughs> that it was a stat, but I've done this in the past. I go, do I just roll the dice? There's some crazy thing out there where maybe like another player's played as long or as good there's definitely a chance of that and that's my only chance to tie it up but evan also tracks stats for how we play this game and he knows how many times i've answered correct uh, versus nick so like there's that on the line too so getting it right is important but i feel like there's not enough confidence here and i'm rambling on i'm gonna say fiction because i Dang it. I'm looking at the live results now. <laughs> the, live, the live poll is 81% stat. <laughs> so either way, it's a, it's a, it's a big all in at Vegas. Here we go. Let's see what happens. Ooh, you said you're going with fiction. Yeah, I got, Well, you. I didn't think this, I said it was on statmina.com and they can just look it up. Oh, so that they could did. be the situation oh, really? because the fans and Chris Dickerson are right yet again. Uh, this is a stat. Paul Yulabari, why am I struggling with that? Bari uh, Berry, whatever. Yeah, right? Bully Berry, if you yeah. watch Jomez. <laughs> he has been uh, 5,868 unique players throughout his career. That's a little over 100 than Dave Feldberg, who's at 5,729. We got Nico Castro in third, Avery Jenkins, Greg Barsby, and Paul McBeth in sixth. Um, so Yulabari has taken it down. It's That's a hard stat to catch up. It'll be interesting to see how it kind of evolves over time. We also have unique players lost to so if you're curious paul uberry has lost to uh 795 <laughs> people throughout his career and how many of those people has he beaten though that'd be another fun one to figure out how many people yeah so out if there's that, anyone he's, he's lost, lost to that he yeah. hasn't beaten that is that's really interesting and uh, okay. actually should figure that out you will you will yeah. you'll text me tomorrow <laughs> and then we have one more column which is the ratio so that's just you know how many people you've beaten unique compared to how many people you've lost to uh, or divided by um so chris dickerson's actually second on that list by that ranking with only paul Macbeth uh beating him uh paul Macbeth's ratio is 15.7 and dickerson is at 14.2 oh 
<laughs> wow. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, shameless plug there. Find it out. Yeah, find it at Statman. To tie into it, Staterfic. It is, the website has come leaps and bounds against last year. Like, I'm not, I'm trying to be unbiased. Like, when I first looked, I'm like, this is kind of like rudimentary website. Now it's come a long way. It's, st- it's awesome. So much information. Chris, thank you for coming on the show. Um, I don't know if you like beef jerky. Do you like beef jerky? I don't. Okay. Do you know somebody who does like beef jerky? Um, yeah. Okay. And the reason I mention that is because if you would like to gift beef jerky to someone in your life that does like beef jerky, literally hit up as Chris Dickerson, double G craft jerky, and they will send you a variety pack of jerky as a thank you for coming on the Nick and Matt show. So we appreciate that. Also, there is a product out there and we're just giving all the love to our, our sponsors. We're passing it along to you. If you'd like to, you do not have to endorse. You do not even have to say you've received it. Uh, DG max wax, a really cool grip enhancing product. If that sounds like something of interest to you, we'd like to provide that to you as well. Hit us up. We'll make sure you get that product in your hands. Uh, thank you for coming on the show. Do you have anybody you'd like to shout out or anything we missed that you'd like to make mention of? Um, no, I don't think y'all missed anything. <laughs> good. That's the way we like it. Thank you for your time, Chris. We really appreciate it. You're really good at responding back to us, and we always value that very much. Thanks for your time, and have a good evening. Yeah, thank you all for having me. All right, Chris. Good luck out there. All right, yeah. everybody. So I mentioned Double G Craft Jerky, so I want to. we do this often, and I think last week somebody commented, Nick and Matt show just talked about beef jerky for four minutes. And they literally made that comment four minutes. And I'm going to pass the bag around this time. We've got the teriyaki. So this beef jerky, everybody is the jerky that you want to have in your bag. I am going through it like a madman right now. Thank you to, you know, double G craft jerky. I got contacted this week by Garrett Gerthy himself saying, I'm really glad you're enjoying the product. Thank you for spreading the good news. Garrett is an awesome individual. This jerky is made from a cut of brisket. Brisket's premium lean cut that gives off the good beefy, beefy flavor, and it often chews like a succulent steak. It's a popular choice with small batch beef jerky makers, which is what this is. So we've had all different flavors in here. This is the teriyaki. I just ordered a whole nother set of the jerky because it's so good. We're going to talk about all the flavors again. Um, I do want to give feedback here. If you purchase this, a portion of the sales goes to support Double G's Children Foundation. If you buy the Paul Macbeth uh, barbecue, that portion goes to help Paul Macbeth Foundation. So you're doing two amazing things. Well, three, you're filling your body with awesome flavor and meat. And you're giving back to disc golf at the same time as giving back to double. That's four double G craft jerky, the business itself. So, uh, Ben, I, you're over there typing away, making the show. Awesome. You like jerky. What do you think of double G craft jerky? I'm saying, I'm asking you a question so I can take a bite. (laughs) I love double G craft jerky. This select piece right here tastes like, a little hoisin, a little Worcestershire, kind of like the steaks tips we had upstairs with Simon <laughs> that you made. And it's obviously teriyaki. Wow. This is really good. It's moist. It's supple. And it's soothing. And it's very appetizing. And it fills my soul. Soothing. Soothing. I, I That's not in the words that we were supposed to use to talk, discuss jerky, but it's a great word. Soothing. It, and like Ben said, Matt, you made some 
killer. Oh, that's not the right camera. Ben's Ben's <laughs> taking down the jerky. He's hitting the wrong cameras. Uh, like Ben was saying earlier, Matt, you made some incredible steak tips earlier. You marinated it for a day or something. I don't know. Some chef speak uh, that I might not know of. And they came out so good. I had dinner before I came and I was like, I'm still having some and I'm still having jerky. And now I'm having this jerky and it's like, that steak was so good. This is just a beef jerky version of that incredible steak. It tastes very similar. Obviously, this is more of a jerky version, but I'm impressed with both. I'm incredibly full and I'm still eating some. (laughs) I know. Uh, They do have gluten-free options. I saw the chat ask about vegetarian beef jerky, which I'm sure is a thing, but that's not of interest to me. It may be for you. Uh, Maybe you should hit them up and ask them if that's going to be something in the future. But I will tell you, I did not think teriyaki was my favorite. I th- and this was me going, I love the garlic. I love the boom sauce. I love the cracked pepper. I love McBeast barbecue. And this was the last bag I was saving for this point. And I just took a bite and I'm like, okay, I think I was wrong. This is actually really good. So there, did we talk about jerky again for four minutes? I hope so. It's that good. Go get your favorite. Visit uh, DoubleGCraftJerky.com. Use the code Nick and Matt. Do that, please. It lets them know that the sponsorship is valuable on our show. We we value our customers. Uh, our customers. We, they're, you're their customers. You're our listeners. We work together to make disc golf go around. They have player packs. They're going to send me a player pack, which is pretty cool. <laughs> they're going to send me a player pack so I can show everybody what that looks like. You can reach out to them for your player packs. If you're a tournament director, this is the way you want to go. A lot of players are sick of getting disc. At least give them the option between a disc and jerky or the cooler bag or the hat. Honestly, how often have I worn this hat since you've last seen me? Like every time. I like this hat a lot. Go check them out. Go support them. There you go. Four minutes of jerky. Again, I hope you guys appreciate that. And Chris, whether he likes jerky or not, he can gift that to somebody who's going to be like, thank you, Chris Dickerson. You made my life. All right. There are a few topics that uh, we're doing good for ourselves, Evan. Nick's not here, and we're still going to take the full show. Look at that. (laughs) Nick, I hope that put a smile on your face because we all know I'm the reason the show goes long. All right. So... Silver Series, Evan. How much? And Ben, you're included in this, man. I know you sit there quietly, but I want you. I want. I want to hear all of your conversations around this, especially with Ben being a little bit newer to the scene. Mm -hmm. Silver Series. How much weight do you put in? Put on that? Are all your eggs in a basket if Paul McBeth doesn't win a Silver Series? Are all of your eggs in a basket if Chris Dickerson wins? If Gannon Burr would have won, would we have said there it is again? If Valerie had won back to back at a, a pro tour at Waco and then came into Belton and won. Would we have said she's the next coming of Paige Pierce? Like, or does it matter who wins? And then you put the value on it. You know what I mean? That's what I'm trying to say is like, well, if this person won, then we put a lot of value, but if Paige would have won or, you know, whatever Katrina wins, it's not that big of a deal. So that's my setup. What do you guys think about that? I, I'm going to do another stat Mando plug here. Okay. I think the open at Belton and I'm going to take a bite of jerky. Okay. The open at Belton, I think was, it has been an incredibly good field. Last year, it was the best Silver Series event, according to our, our field strength ranking system. Uh, it was better than Des Moines Challenge and Delaware uh, Delaware Disc Golf Challenge. I don't even know. Delaware Stafford Championship. Woods, is that the one? No, that was a Silver Series. Okay. But for if I'm saying for Elite Series okay. events, it was yeah. better than those two as far as field strength goes. So when we do our ranking system, we do it based on that field strength. So Belton 
If it's better than a few elite series events, we're going to count it as better than a few elite series events. If a silver series like Stafford, like Ben just mentioned, was kind of a lower silver series event, it was almost like a low medium A tier event. No, no discredit to that. It was just a tough schedule and it was a weekend for a lot of players to take off. Um, but that was a much lower event, so I'm going to count it lower. Ricky Wysocki last year winning the Open at Belton was much more impressive than Matt Oram winning Stafford Open at the end of the season. Um, when all things are said and done and you look at Disc Golf Pro Tour standings, they're count the same, and that makes sense, and that's okay. But as far as like waiting this win, I think it is very impressive. Chris Dickerson took it the Open at Belton down. Like he said, it wasn't really a wooded course, um, and a lot of people see him as a wooded player. So I'm impressed. I think it's a good sign for him. We're before we know it, we're going to hit a major. We got one more elite event. We got one more silver series event, I believe. And then we're at a major, which is crazy to hear that we're hitting it so early. And I think it's very telling that Chris Dickerson won this event, that Paul McBeth and Ricky Wasaki tied for second, that Nikola Castro was up there. Kyle Klein had a good finish. I think all five of those players are looking good for the um, Champions Cup. I think Katrina Allen, she won Las Vegas Challenge, and then she wins this event. Valerie Mandujano won last week at Waco um, Annual Charity Open, and then comes in second here. I think both those players are primed for an incredible run at the Champions Cup, and I would not be surprised if one of those two do take it down just because they are playing so hot. And seeing a play well this past weekend at the Open of Belton has me impressed and looking forward to that uh, Champions Cup. What do you think, Ben? What's the value of a Silver Series to you? To me, I was kind of going along with Evan's point. I think it depends on the field personally. Like you said, Stafford Woods was Matty Oak. I think one by, I don't know, Sat Mando, a lot of strokes. I think it was 11. Yeah. Crazy amount, so it's, like, not that impressive. But something like the Open at Bellin, tons of competition, pretty much as good as any elite, um, you know, the people there. And um, I'd say it just depends on the field. That's that's all I say. Chris Dickerson winning the Open at Bellin, I think is amazing. Super good win. Matty O winning Stafford Woods uh, last year was just, like, He's Matty O. He's going to crush everyone because no one was there. That's, that's yeah. I think that's competition, right? Competition. I, I think I'm there with you guys on that idea, but I would like to see more value placed on pro tours regardless of the field. But take this to, and I know some people don't like this, but take this to PGA or anywhere else. If you had somebody compete against a field that was the same as the majors, if you will, and I don't mean majors as in like a golf major. I just mean like major sports. If you play against a field that is the level or the quality of a major field, do you value that? Even if the title of the event is reduced, do you value that the same while they did it? I don't. And I just, that came out of my mouth and here's why. And I'm developing this thought in the moment. So I want you to push back if it doesn't make sense. <clears throat> If the other players don't value this the same, if the preparation's not there the same going into Belton as it would be for a USDGC or a Worlds, right? Um, let's say Chris Dickerson wanted this win more because to him, it matters because of his new disc sponsor changeup, right? It matters more than it does to Ricky, even though Ricky changed up. My point is, going into these events, is the same pressure there? What do you think? I mean, it's not a big event. The field is there stacked. I guess, do you hear what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I, okay. I, I get you with the pressure aspect for sure. I kind of agree. I don't think the pressure is as there, but I still think it's pretty impressive for a stack field, someone to come out on top, even if it's not as much pressure. Sure. 
Sure. I think there's just something to be said, and everyone's going to go, Macbeth fanboy, Matt Graham, Macbeth fanboy. But like <laughs> Worlds, there's a reason Paul comes out at Worlds often. I think it has to do with his ability with the big events to treat them differently than others do. And I'm not saying everybody. He's not alone, but he, his stats are pretty much alone if you look at them all. So do you, see, do you see what I'm saying there, Evan? Is there any validity to that? Like maybe Dickerson holds this event higher than the others. Like, do you see what I'm saying? They come into this event differently prepared. And, and to Paul, does it matter if he wins or loses this? Like his mindset's maybe whatever. Like I'm just going to go try to keep the ball rolling. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm trying not, I'm not downplaying the field. It was a good win. I'm just thinking of perspective. I think there's a chance that some players, especially maybe if they're out of it, let's say you're in like, I mean, Paul had the incredible finish from being in what, 36th place of the first round. But let's say after the second round, you're sitting in about 35th place. You might treat it a little bit more relaxed. I could see that because it's a silver series. If you make last cash, it's like not as much money as elite last cash was. So I, like maybe in that situation, I, I could see that. But I think if you're in top five and you have a chance to win, I don't think I don't think Paul McBeth or Ricky Wysocki were letting off the gas at all to let, um, uh, oh my goodness, Chris Dickerson win. I don't think they were just like, yeah, like it's just a silver series. Like I'm not going to try my hardest to catch him. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, same on the FPO side. I think Christian Tatar and Valerie Mandahano wanted it just as much as Katrina Allen. They're still incredibly impressed um, with, with trying in this field. And kind of like I was saying before, I think it's momentum into Champions Cup that major is quick. It's April that that major is happening. You don't have a lot of time to get rolling and get the momentum, which I think with how strong the fields are lately in 2022 compared to just two years ago, but compared to three years ago, how strong the fields are, you need to have this momentum. You can't just be a great player and go in and, you know, I'll be honest, like Simon Lazat going to play champions cup. I think it's going to be a little tough for him. He played Waco, got the competitive juices flowing then just going into Champions Cup might be a little hard. If I was him, I might go out a week early. And I think Music City Open's happening the weekend before the Silver Series event. Get that going. If you can get a top 10 finish at the event before, you're feeling really good and going in. So it doesn't matter to me if it's a Silver Series, if it's a stacked field and a random B tier, or if it's an elite event. You want to get ready for this major, which goes to your point that majors are treated higher. And so you want to get rolling into this, whether the status of that event is there or not sure so there's there's different different facets to this conversation that should be broken down more we're not fully prepared to do that so i'm just going to leave it at that i think there is a different feel to it so that could affect players differently but to your point and i hate to say this live and have it recorded forever and some people probably know this but i ask stupid questions sometimes just so we can have a conversation because it's pretty cut and dry in my mind if you beat the stacked field like good job to you but I just wanted to bring up the rest, you know, hey, hate it or love it. That's what I'm here for. I think it's good. It drives conversation. It lets people hear both sides, whether you are behind it or not. Good. Thank you. I'll pay you for that comment. <laughs> it's cool. good. You got that bag? Of yeah, I need the, more jerky. I have one more piece of jerky. <laughs> I'll for, take it after the show. Oh, okay. They're, they're going to send me more. We'll get, we'll get everyone loaded up. All right. So here's a question for you. And as we're getting closer here towards the end, this is a little bit more local, but it, I think it's relevant to everybody that watches disc golf sports including um the new player who comes out and sees mvp open maple hill number one course in the world go check out simon lazat's youtube channel his dad for the first time walked onto the course of maple hill and was like wow wow like multiple times like this is different this is really cool you see it 
on video coverage. It's like a little mysterious and all, all that, you know, that goes into that. And he loved it. He thinks it was a great course. Well, that course has a lot of history. Kevin Jones, like what could is likely not even arguably the biggest ace to ever go viral is him slipping on hole 16 and putting in the basket. Um, you have big moments of history coming into hole 18. Uh, you have people acing on coverage on other holes. And this is a lot of courses. But Maple Hill, right now, currently ranked number one in the world, is auctioning off all of their baskets. And I think that's in the range of somewhere between 40 and 50 baskets. And I'll jump in real quick. They just got brand new baskets from MVP. Uh, MVP's new upgraded black hole porter, portals, excuse me, I believe. And they're going back to the old orange. Um, and now they're old baskets because they got new ones now they're auctioning off those so they're they still have baskets on the course not to get <laughs> they're, they're closing down they're auctioning <laughs> off this is your last chance to get but, in on the action <laughs> yeah that's really cool they're doing uh, i think you can join on on facebook or in person and bid about 30 seconds and then it gets sold well 30 seconds and then it like resets if uh, a new bid comes in okay yeah it's gonna be right so i think they're actually gonna open it up to like facebook live is one of the options or in person so you can either be there or facebook live and get your bids in now there's fun parts of this conversation like i brought up hole 16 for instance right and hole 18 like nico has an ace on that goes to espn coverage um there's a lot of holes that have unique things that have happened for for individual players kevin jones I think he's very interested in getting hole 16's basket. If I was him, I would I would pay a lot of money, which this is the question. Yeah, which how much would a basket be worth? Now, let's let's put a few parameters in place. Um this is straight auction. Kevin has to go through the auction. Steve Dodge is not going to gift it to him. Like so, what would that basket go for? This is just what what do you think, Ben? See, Kevin how much? Jones ace basket. What how I much think? is it going to go for in an auction? If Kevin's interested in it and he keeps bidding, and so does the field, if you will, like how high does the how, basket? How much price did your get? disc golf pro tour card sell for the set? Man, yeah, that's silly, but it went for twenty five hundred dollars. Yeah, so this is going to be. I was about to say ten times history. And you think about it, it's twenty thousand dollars. I don't know if I would go that high. Could I'd it? My, Could it? My answer like, is seven a, grand. That's my answer. Oh my goodness! Seven grand. That's I it. think this is a game right now. We have seven to guess. grand. I think seven grand is a good guess. I think it's definitely over five grand. And, and really, I think Kevin. If Kevin, Kevin's ace. Kevin all the Jones other ones ace. might not, but I think that one's gonna be worth the most. Oh my goodness! We can okay, argue that. I think some people are gonna want like hole eight, hole fourteen, <laughs> yes. hole one or eighteen. Oh my um, goodness! Yeah, like. But sixteen. How much would I, if if I had. If I had, let's just say, I'm going to throw out a number, $50,000 just sitting there for the fun, rainy day, whatever I want to do with it, my wife doesn't care, let's go. How much am I going to spend on that basket? Me. I, there's two things that factor. I would feel bad not letting Kevin Jones get it. So take that away from it. Like, I don't know Kevin Jones and I don't care about him. I think the history of that basket deserves, yeah, I don't know. You're really into disc golf. Someone's going to pay 10000 for it. I my guess would my gut guess is is everything stays in the single digit thousands at most, but I wouldn't be surprised if one hit like ten to fifteen range. Man, which would be really cool Dang. to see because I think that would someone in the chat said they would pay five thousand for it. Kent Chapman calling him out. He said I'll pay five K for it. Like yeah. that's in the chat right now. Yep. 
And okay, wow. I'm looking at the other ones. I see another 10k, 20k. And maybe that's not actually wanting to buy it. That's like, not yes. their real auction. Yeah, bring it yeah. to the auction. Let's Where see Ken, that number. Ken says he'll pay five thousand. Like I, I mean, you can wow. even like. I don't know, five thousand. Like I, I'm not in the place to spend this money, anyways. But if if you had a a chunk of money, five thousand could just be. You could see it as an investment too. As like, <laughs> like not. I'm laughing. Not like no. to be a part of it in an event. Like with baseball cards, it's the same idea. Yeah. And I think disc golf's obviously done very well being a collection sport, almost like yeah, baseball cards are. But you're actually playing with these discs. If look you at the, the look at the last chat that just came in. It's a great point. I don't think it'd be worth a million. No, no. But my po the point that's being made is in the future, assuming disc golf continues on the trajectory it is. Well, imagine if you had like an original like home plate after like Babe Ruth hit whatever X home run, like things like that, or the baseball bat. Okay. Like, well, I'll say this is we. Think it's a basket. I that get it. basket. Um, it's also at Maple Hill, which is kind of cool. But think about. The, the Beaver State basket. That, uh, I mean, that one yeah. was a junky old. Yeah. Paul's <laughs> Perfect Rounds. He has that basket set. Yeah, the exactly. Perfect Round. That's a, that's a massive dollar amount. Yeah, and I'm going to say this because <laughs> after Maple Hill's auctioning him off, Paul got lucky he just got that. I don't know if he had to pay for it or, or it, if he had to pay for it, but it was like a backdoor deal if it was. I think I've heard, but I'm not recollecting, and if, that's the truth. I I have heard. I don't remember how he got them, but he did. Uh, and I think I think it would mean a little bit more to Paul to buy that set than it would Kevin Jones to buy that basket. But I still see Kevin Jones being interested. But like, what are the chances? Like OTB or I mean, it would look weird maybe if Prodigy bought it because it's not their basket. <laughs> but yeah, like, but it's OTB. Yeah. What if OTB bought it? They they sponsor Kevin Jones and Skins was where the basket happened. Mm -hmm. Like maybe they want to Maybe OTB wants it, right? Yeah, maybe they want it and they'll put it up in there. I don't know. I think that'd be cool. I think they should. And as Great. a fan, as a fan who's not going to buy it, I'd almost rather see a someone like that who I know they're going to preserve it well. They're going to make something cool out of it. But wouldn't it be cool? And no, no, okay, yes, I'm hearing everything you're saying too. But wouldn't it be cool? Like if I did, I'm a collector. I like collecting things. I don't have a lot of. Well, I have a lot of like my own little collections. But like, wouldn't it be cool to like have that basket here in studio? Like this is the basket I was well, like. That is a cool feeling to me, and it would be cool. But I'm not. I I can't drop the money. To let, let's play another game. Let's play. If we think, if we think that kind of eight to ten k is what Kevin Jones's ace basket's going to go for. What about like the disc? No. <laughs> what about like red? What's what's the um? Where are we talking about? Twelve maybe at Maple. Yeah, at red twelve, where it's you you get whole thirteen. No, red eleven. Red eleven. You get okay. You get that's it's the only, wide open. Yeah, it's it's a okay. fun hole for reds, but it's only a reds basket. It's not anything cool from anything the pros. That have goes for like a little more than like retail. Like that, you think, that, you think just a little bit that's more? Someone's I'm thinking basket, like 100. percent I'm thinking that, that, that basket goes for like 400. That's my guess. I that's because low retail. This yeah. all depends on no, how, no, no. I think those went for 350. I don't know how okay. the auction's going if they're kind of doing one after another. I kind of <laughs> hope they do like a chunk and then another chunk and kind of let it build so that way the last day is Kevin Jones's basket, <laughs> and that way you know if Holy, it is kind of because yeah. I see if it going after and after like some could go high and some could go low people don't want to bid on whole reds whole 11 because they're like oh i'm gonna drop two grand on this basket so i'm not gonna buy this one for 600 but right and that's kind of what i, I don't want to get too. into that whole game but i <laughs> i would be surprised if even the lowest basket sold for under 600 dollars. okay so you're 600 this is a little game that we're playing because i would we'll, we'll i watch. would much rather buy a maple if i was planning on buying a uh, a, a full like championship level basket Dang that it. usually what retail goes for 450 i think 
Yeah. Something like that. So the over Single, under on 600 yeah. is what we're looking at right now. And I'm like, dang it, will one go for 500 or 550? And in my mind, I'm thinking you might be right on the right number because I said 400, but realistically, yeah. I mean, people are going to want these baskets and they're going to say, I have 500 to spend. That's kind of what I'm thinking well, in my head, but is 500 enough to get it? Let me just real quick. If you had the chance to get two brand new, whatever brand championship baskets in your backyard or, or, even like red hole 11 which one would you rather have for maple hill yeah i would choose one maple hill basket over two brand new ones i don't know if i'd keep it outside though because well, i'm a collector kind yeah, of guy. that's that's fair too i'm just saying like <laughs> then you, i have to go get another one. yeah that's <laughs> that's for me personally i'd say the two um new baskets just put up a home course i own nine in of this catch i need two more i bought i bought some uh this year so I already have them, and yeah, I need more. Full 18 to my house, backyard. Everyone's invited. All right, to wrap up that conversation, because some people are like, we've talked about that long enough. I would say the other just attractive holes specifically would be like hole eight, and there's a few reasons. The eight holes, the group that actually has gotten some notoriety. It's in a board game. It's made Ulti World uh, like articles. It's made Udisc articles. It's it's on the coverage. The eight holes and pros either complain or love it. It's the whole eight, the originator of the eight holes, Zach Benson, if you're listening, I know some as he does, like, I don't think he feels like he has the money to back up right now and drop what that's going to go for. So there's a community of people trying to figure out how they're going to get that basket for him. And I don't know if Steve Dodge is going to be a nice guy and figure out how to get people baskets that they want. But what I did find funny, and I think it was one of our listeners here, Chris Deerkins, if he's in here, I don't remember if he's in here tonight, but sometimes he is. He's like, listen, we all need to be on the same page with who's bidding on that for Zach, though, because if we're all bidding, we're going against each other. We just keep raising the price and it's just going to keep going up like we're winning for Zach. It just keeps going. So one person do that. But anyways, there's a lot of cool things there. That's a cool thing. I've never heard of a, have never heard of it in this way at a notable course like this, a disc golf auction for baskets or what we could call memorabilia going forward, like a brick. A, if they redo whole one. And they sell off the bricks. I think that'd be cool. I'd buy a brick. That's cool. I mean, stadiums do this all the time. Like if Fenway Park was going to get demolished next year mm-hmm. and they're taking down pieces, seats selling and, seats, yeah. I, I'd buy a seat if it went for like a hundred bucks. I'd buy a seat mm-hmm. from Fenway Park. Right. Like, that'd be cool. Yeah. And this is the same idea is it's a piece of that property. You can't sell what trees. But, yeah. I guess they do. They We're going to cut sell. down the Christmas. You pay 16, 80 bucks. They're a Christmas tree farm. Oh man. Yes. You can't sell trees. Yes, we uh, can. Yeah. They can scoop up water and hey, here's you have a Christmas ponds. tree from like five years ago. It's just dry and yeah. like needles are falling off. Maple Hill, baby. Yeah. But I, I will say this and I think it'd be really cool if a few had like, let's say um, I, I keep on throwing reds hole 11 under the bus. But it would be cool, Steve, if you're listening, uh, to have <laughs> a couple baskets kind of go to a specific, you know, like one might go to the Paul Macbeth or Saki Bomb. Oh, this is. Or let me charity. let me give you the information. Okay, let's hear it. So he hasn't, he announced one of them, and it's the Wysocki Foundation, yep. okay? he's. I think he said tomorrow. So this is Monday of the recording, so maybe Tuesday. I think that's accurate. He's going to announce another one. Yeah. Maybe it's Paul Macbeth, maybe it's you play. I don't know. But he said 5% of the sales. Now, quickly in my head, this is what I did. I said, let's just say it was 50 baskets. And I literally just did it times retail, which was like 350. And I said, we're talking about $18,000, right? So 5% is $18,000. No, no, I'm saying saying that'd be a total if the auction was purely retail. Yes. 
and we say, here's 5%. That's about $1,000. That's me. I'm not stat mando. That's my rough math, about $1,000. Someone's going to say it's 900. I know, I rounded up. But that's with you guys saying that some are going to go for thousands. So realistically, someone gets a nice donation. and That's a cool thing that Steve Dodge is doing. So. Yeah. Oh, let's check out Hannah's comment. She said, Paul and I met on Hole 16, so I'm trying to get that one. Oh, dang. Did oh, she hear? Well, she Hannah, comment Kale. yes or no. Did you hear Sorry. our conversation about how much that it. basket would go for? I'm interested in your opinion. Uh, text me later. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> I'll okay, go. That's what the I'll Kevin do? Jones ace hole. It's just clicking now. Oh, I will no, sneak. There's... I'm gonna sneak into the barn, Hannah. No, I'm kidding. Yes, let's we'll go make a tonight. movie. Yeah, we'll have night vision. <laughs> and, no, and... we are not on record saying that. If someone steals it, it was not Ben. Not and us. <laughs> it was not us. Uh, right. But uh, when Steve was here a couple weeks back, he mentioned how many different people have gotten like impromptu married or proposed. Yes. yes. Like there's gonna be a lot of people who are. Uh, Paul and Hannah met on 16. Maybe some people got engaged. Can on we give them like seven. 16? Can we just like say like 16 blue is the same as 16 gold? Like, uh, but yeah, that's interesting. Or no, it's the same. Sorry, it's 16 for, red. Is for Hannah and Paul. Does does 16 gold need to be the oh basket no. that they want? Oh no, that would be the Kevin Jones one. If they go head to head against each other, who yeah. wins? But like, would would <laughs> Paul and Hannah would they be okay going for 16 diamonds? Which I think it's a much cooler hole um, that fairway to get to blues. Yeah, and it's a cooler hole, but if cooler. it's literally it's that basket iconic. location where yeah. you're like Hannah bends in to get the disc but out of the basket met- and she looks up and the angels sing from heaven <laughs> and the sunlight breaks through the cloud. She's like, Paul, like that. Like, did that happen? Or was it just like generally like hole 16? Yeah, because that, if they're point. playing, you know, they, I mean. Oh, they, meet, they, they met on the T-pad. Yeah, if they met on the T-pad. Yeah, then she'll take a brick. Then. <laughs> 16 16 reds is sitting right in front of you that's the basket you see uh and then blue and diamonds is kind of hidden back uh and then golds is the farthest one away so there's 15 on 16's t-pad there's 15 red 15 gold yeah 15 blue all near there yeah all right behind you those are all closer so (laughs) you know i the numbers what's i get there won't the number but so I will say that was a fun conversation for us. If you thought it was generally entertaining or you thought, you know, the concept of disc golf auction for memorabilia is cool. It'd be neat if there was a disc golf auction where players did put up things like the James Conrad um, Mm. putter. And if uh, Kevin Jones disc and the basket 16, like if there was an auction that went up for all his memorabilia or, or the museum, like the Hall of Fame type deal, you know, that Georgia has, but like maybe a museum, like that would be really neat. So, okay, I'm looking at the chat. Lots of cool things going on there. Thanks for joining, Hannah. I saw your snowboarding video. That was pretty cool. It made me feel like I wanted to go back and do it because I haven't done it since I was 13. Oh, no, that might be a lie, but in, the, in my teenage years. So that'd be very cool to go back. Good job, Hannah. <clears throat> um. All right, in rounding out the whole conversation, it says it's just about nine. Any picks for Texas states? Anybody? Just This is a quick, not a conversation as much as it has been. You're rolling the dice. Who do you think is going to take it down? Who's going to take it down? Dickerson back-to-back. You heard it here first. Really? Yes, 100%. And um, come back to me in a week. Okay. There well, you go. I'll say this real quick is the layout is changing a good amount from last year. Last year is heavily, heavily wooded. This year they're adding in a lot more kind of, uh, it, from what I saw, it looked more like park style, but like um, community fields, almost like, like the baseball hole at Ledgestone or even the kind of the Winthrop kind of 
playing around the other sports fields. Um, so it seems like there'll be a lot more open shots. It's kind of hard to pick against Dickerson and, and Paul McBeth with how good they're looking, but I'm, I'm going to go Ricky Wysocki. You said he's not getting a win, or what if he doesn't get a win? Okay, thank Sorry. you. Thank no, putting you. words yeah. in your mouth. You put, everyone hates me enough as is, but I'm calling out Ricky now. No. I, I think Ricky, Ricky and I are bros, man. I'll text him right I now. I think he takes it down this week. That's okay. my pick. I think that's a great pick. Are we rooting? Not No, let me not say are we rooting against Paul. Is Paul, you're just saying Paul, I'm not asking for first, second, third, never mind. Just keep it with Ricky. Is Eagle going to attend? Is he yet? I think he's missing all of Texas. Okay, Okay. so I'm not going with Calvin. (laughs) He he could win. That's a whole other topic for another day again. Like, I feel like that he's an interesting character, and I don't mean Muppets. He's a Muppet. (laughs) I mean, when I say that, I've said this before, and I will go on record as saying this always. He's the best player to not win like pro tours. Now, I know Ledgestone happened, and I will have that as an asterisk for a long time because but we don't know how that would have played out. Ledgestone's not his only pro tour win, though. In the Since he started getting really good, what was his other one? He won Vintage last year, which was a that's, silver, that's series. silver series. That's Silver Series, and I don't count that. But was Okay, well, let me pull him up. Okay, no, Stab don't do it. The- bring it. Bring it in just again another time. He has one. You're right. But my point is the um, the frequency with how good he is. See, you guys are hearing me say some excellent things about him. His putting can be fire. Like casual, his mental game seems to be like top notch. And he can throw extremely far. Like he should be, in my opinion, he should be winning as much, if not more than like Ricky and Paul. <laughs> He's I, so good. And I, Chris. I think it's just unrealistic <clears throat> expectations now, that have been given yeah. by Paul McBeth, by Ricky Baisaki and Eagle McMahon. Those three are their All own right. tier, in my opinion. <laughs> okay. Um, I think Calvin Heinberg's right with Chris Dickerson, right with, I mean, Kyle Klein last year. I mean, people are arguing Gannon Bird, Drew Gibson, those guys who all could win any possible event every single week. Um, Chris Dickerson might be pushing his way up to be make it a top four with those guys. And I, I think Heiberg's I, I would I would not question him being top five with Dickerson okay, yeah. and those. So my guys. pick. I'm not impressed with Kyle Klein so far this year. That's not me knocking him. That's just saying I'm not impressed so far. Um I'm is Maddie O signed up for this, Ben? How did you not pick Maddie O? I I, I didn't I don't if he's signed up, up. If he is, I, I wish there was a way I should have pulled this up. I just think Dickerson's just Texas State. Great. I just need to know because that would be my pick if it is. That Texas State's PDGA. I'm just Googling this because Ben's an idiot. Okay. Let's see here. PDGA. I, I'm going to make a bold prediction. I'm going to say he is signed um, up for the season for um, Silver Series and higher. I think there's going to be a new winner for the season. <clears throat> okay. Which could be like Paige Parrish. She hasn't won this year. Uh, mm-hmm. could be Chris Tuttle. Oh, I like that. So Although now we're betting she, a she, field or she like won page. Memorial, but okay. I'm I'm not counting that. But like okay. Chris Tuttle has been right there at every single event. Okay. Um, you can't count her out. Adam Hammes hasn't impressed me yet this year, and he's a great player. So when I t- when I say these takes that I'm taking, I'm just being transparent with how I feel. It, and I think what you're saying is exactly what I was kind of getting earlier. It's all about momentum. Any of these guys mm-hmm. can win. Silver Series is we, helpful. We haven't seen the momentum from a lot of these really good mm-hmm. players. Like you mentioned, Adam Hambus. He just needs to get rolling, and then it'll start coming. Okay, so my pick is Matteo. Assuming, like, assuming he actually plays. He signed up for it, but so is Simon. <laughs> but if Matteo plays, like, that's my pick. That guy is so cool at that course. I feel like even with his new disc, that's another guy with new discs. Yeah. Oh, if that's he gets what I said the win, So if he gets the win... How many? This would be a stat from Stat Mando, and you'd have to say thanks credit to Matt Graham of the Nick and Matt. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> if it's like the most wins ever by players with new manufacturer, like that's it's yeah, getting I, deep. 
I think a few people have mentioned that to us, oh, not to bring it down. I dang know, it. But All right. I'm not yeah, original. Sorry. Okay. And then FPO. Still a cool vibe. Um, yeah. It is. <laughs> Valerie Mandahano has beaten Kristen Tatar in back-to-back events. That's pretty interesting because going into this year, there's a lot of people arguing that Kristen Tatar is the number one player in the world coming out of last season. Valerie is stepping up. I'm going to, and I think, I think um, Haley's going to be there. She said, I think she said she was going to be there. Haley's decent on this course. There's a lot of good Woods players. We're going to see Holly Finley play a little higher than she normally does. We're going to see Sarah Hokum possibly do the same thing. But I'm picking Valerie. Any any other picks from you guys for FPO? I, I'm going to go to Tar. I said there's going to be a new winner for this year. Okay. And I think she's the best bet. She's so consistent. Yep. So consistent. It's amazing. What do you got, Ben? Paige Pierce, enough said. <laughs> enough said. Ah, that, Paige Pierce of the field. I am going, oh my goodness. I'm going the field because I already said I'm going with Valerie. I'm, I'm interested to see Paige turn the corner. This happened last year a little bit. Different, different feeling, but it happened last year. Um, so I'm just going to read this real quick. Hannah's telling stories in our chat. She's story time with Hannah. <laughs> She said she met Paul in hole 16 on the tee pad. This is where we're gathering now as the chat grows. Um, she said Paige introduced her to Paul and because she told a funny joke in the parking lot, and then there was a backup, so I don't know how that works. But the more joke was, you can't put a price on swagger, Paige. Well, okay. You <laughs> oh, you can't put a message. price on swagger, Paige. Hannah Macbeth saw a huge trailer right. that was parked on site. She didn't know if it was Paul's. Uh, or didn't know it was Paul's because of who he is. And Paige said, asked Paige why she didn't travel in one. She said money. And I said, you can't, I being Hannah, you can't put a price <laughs> on swagger page. And she thought that was hilarious and later made me repeat the joke to Paul. And the rest is history. Yeah. Interestingly enough, now we're getting deeper into this story. Like I knew Hannah before disc golf. I knew Nick before disc golf. And it was a very weird, like, you can't put yourself in my position and you can't put yourself in Hannah's position, but it was very weird for me. I'm not going to lie, Hannah. I don't know if I've ever told you this to be like, I'm like all into disc golf. And then like my friend, Hannah, who's not at all, like doesn't even know disc golf besides like, maybe I've told her about it once. She's like hanging out with Paul Macbeth. And I'm like, how and Paige Pierce. And I'm like, how does this happen? Like I'm into the sport. Like I'm at the tournaments and you show up and you're hanging out with these players. Like very cool move, Hannah. Very cool move. You can't put a price on swagger. And I don't know. Anyway. So Hannah's funny with those kind of jokes. I think she needs more credit for, I, I I'm trying to think of the, I type, laugh. Of, the type of jokes those are. They're almost like, dad jokes almost, but it's like her it's, version. It's, it's better. Like situational kind yes. of like, I don't know. Hannah, it's like quips. I can't describe it. Hannah, they're waiting. Quips. They're waiting for yeah. you. Just clever th- honor, 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 feet thinking, or whatever that's called. Yeah, that's my <sighs> kind of humor. I like it. I'm a fan. All right, call in anytime, Hannah. We'll let you in on the party line. All right, that's the show. We actually went a little long. I hope you guys appreciated that. <laughs> uh, as always, go check out and appreciate our sponsors of the show. They have been providing amazing feedback to us, so don't let up because we need that to continue. It helps with the success of our show i'm still reading the chat because hannah's still holding it down all right um i'm not gonna pass it off to ben i put well actually i usually do i think he's all primed what's the close out today ben close out today thanks for watching everyone um texas states is this weekend um 
follow FPO, start paying attention to them, and um, tell someone that you admire them. Okay. <laughs> she said, she said, thanks, Ben, for that. But she goes, that's what happens when you follow FPO. She's like trying to promote FPO. That's her thing, right? The lesson here is fellow, fellow is always oh, follow the FPO rounds, befriend them, and they will introduce you to Paul Macbeth. There you go, everybody. Go follow FPO. Thanks, Ben, for the, that. Uh, you're awesome. Evan, you're awesome. Until next week, peace out, everybody. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or join the conversation live on YouTube.